What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 92nd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, feeling good. It's a Tuesday. Happy belated, uh, belated Victoria Day. Is that the holiday we just passed? Yeah, the 2-4 um, weekend. May 2-4, baby. Drink a 2-4 beer or what? No, I don't no. drink <laughs> All right. That joke well, thanks, went right thanks out the jo- window. <laughs> thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, what did you get up to, man? Uh, just a lot of self-loathing. Uh, I interviewed Josh Rubin for Werewolves Within, which um, I'll talk about more when the embargoes lift. Um, but Josh was very, very kind with his time as I rambled on like a fanboy. You're way too hard. Movies. You're way too I hard hate myself and I'm sure cutting myself fine. into pieces right now. <laughs> this is my, this is my last, last resort. resort. Yes. Um, Suffocation that's it you just self-loathing over thinking oh i watch some movies as well but you know like that's that's the main thing cool did you watch how about yourself fireworks i mean the leafs won last night eric we're in the middle i'm not a a hockey guy but i want you to take me through this there was there was there was a big uh controversy um with uh it became a fight night didn't it or or something horrible happened to one of uh uh, the players. It wasn't a fight night or anything. It was uh, a horrible injury um, to the Toronto Maple Leafs captain, John Tavares, uh, in the first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Leafs are up. Um, I guess there's been three games since we last recorded. So the NHL playoffs started. Welcome to Hockey Cast with Matt and Eric. Eric, your number one source for everything NHL. Um, Marino. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Leafs are up 2 1 in the series. They lost the first game to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, but they won the next two. Uh, in the first game, John Tavares, their captain, got hit by one of the Montreal Canadian players. He fell down. Uh, Corey Perry of the Montreal Canadiens was skating by him at full speed and accidentally uh, need him in the face, like his, in the head, um, knocked him out cold. Um, no, this was this intentional or, or no. So it doesn't seem like it was intentional. Like some people were saying like, Oh, he could have made more of an effort to get out of the way. Cause like John Tavares was falling. So he got hit like a, a legal hit a legal not illegal a legal hit by one player then he was falling to the ground and then the other players was skating by and his knee hit him in the head like full blast so john Tavares, it looked really scary at the time um it was uh it was terrifying actually like i was very uncomfortable i remember talking to my dad about it and both of us being like yeah it was like weirdly emotional because like it's the captain of our team he's a great hockey player um and a young guy with a family and stuff like that but he got knocked out eric and it was like weird because he was like trying to get up afterwards like so he he got like uh, like knocked out and then he was so out of it he was like trying to get up but his legs buckled under him so they were kind of like folded back and he was like he was like folded on his knees trying to get up but like everyone was huddled over him like holding his neck and his head right because at that time you don't know like how badly like if he broke his neck if any of this stuff like he was knocked out cold and it reminded me of like when a ufc fighter gets knocked out and then doesn't realize it and they like wake up and they think that they're like they don't remember that they got knocked out and they're still trying to fight but they're so disoriented they're like fighting the referee or whatever because they just have no idea what's happening they're in shock as well right yeah yeah 
you got you got knocked out cold so uh Tavares was knocked out and like he kept trying to get up and it was just like really scary because like his visor came down and, and hit his head so he was bleeding a little bit but then he, you could see his eyes just completely glazed over and that he was trying to get up and all the players and doctors were on the ice being like you gotta john you gotta lay, lie down and like we gotta support your head and your neck here um and it was a terrifying and especially with no fans i mean it would have been eerie even with fans in the in the crowd but when you have an empty arena and it's just silent as they're all tending to you know your star hockey player um the captain of your team like it was not a uh, a fun kind of situation so he's out indefinitely um good news there though that he had no structural damage to his head neck or spine um he does have a leg injury and he does have a concussion, obviously, and concussions, the leg injury said two weeks, but um, the concussion is hard to really determine, you know, how long you'll be out if it affects everyone differently, right? Like my friend Kevin last year, he played, he, he was playing hockey as a goalie and he got a concussion and it, and it fucked him up for, you know, the better part of a year. He, he was fucked up from it. So it really affects people differently. And, and, um, so it's really kind of unfortunate and shitty and a scary incident. And, um, it was just, they kept replaying it too. And I'm like, stop showing the injury guys. Like it's horrible. Like, well, I saw um, the, the, uh, Toronto sun and for people that don't know, yeah, that's horrible the too. Yeah. Is, uh, it's a, it's like a tabloid, news, tabloid almost, newspaper, like, conservative leaning, very conservative yeah. leaning, uh, it's not Toronto a tabloid, based. but it's almost a tabloid. It's, it's, it's basically on the edge now, or, or it's past the edge. Like, it used to yeah. kind of be considered... I mean, it was always kind of a little bit trashy, because they had, they had the like... The sunshine you know, girl, girl and boys. Boy. And like, yeah, yeah, like, that's where that rock photo comes of from. Of him and the turtleneck, yeah. Neck, yeah, and the fanny pack. Um, I mean, that is comic gold, but for the most part, yeah, it is kind of a, a rags kind of um, newspaper in Toronto. Yeah, and they did a horrible cover that had, you know, Tavares bloodied and and glazed on the front cover and and like called said like Captain Crunched or something like uh which is just a horrible pun and just when I, someone's injured like that like fuck off like it's just shitty but um when we're talking about what we've been watching lately which we'll get into but it's a lot of hockey and a lot of hockey playoffs because like I'm a huge Leaf fan during the season I don't talk about it much cuz I'm like you know especially with covid and everything with no one being in the stands it's made it's made it weird you you forget how you know how much better it is when you have 20,000 people in a, in a building cheering for something and the intensity is rat ratcheted way up because the American games, like I, I finally started watching some American teams, like your brother, Kyle's a huge Boston Bruins fan. They advanced, they, they whooped the Washington capitals for one in the series. Um, but watching some of the American games, cause I hadn't done that all year because this year because of covid all the canadian teams were in one division which usually isn't the case but because they couldn't travel back and forth over the border they put all the canadian teams in one division and they only played canadian teams all year so a little bit weird that and then all the buildings were empty in canada but in the u.s they've started to open everything up so you watch some of these american games and they have like a full arena and i'm like this is so strange and like but it adds like it's it's crazy the atmosphere and the difference in it so anyways um what games were you um, watching the american wise uh, uh some of the full buildings like um the Tampa versus Florida series is, is so Tampa Bay and the floor, uh, Tampa Bay lightning and Florida Panthers, uh, obviously Florida 
pretty much completely open. <laughs> um, so those two teams are playing each other and that's a fun series because it's, you know, they're both the only two Florida teams are playing each other in the playoffs. So that's a lot of fun. Um, Carolina, I think is fully open. So that building, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and New York Islanders, um, uh, those series have been fully open. Um, uh, so like it's been fun to watch some of those because the crowds are starting to come back so well and i mean we can talk about that and how it's you know affecting both um, cinemas in the u.s and and you know cinemas here in ontario there's a whole thing we'll talk about it in the new segment of like you know ellis jacob coming out and and the theater owners in canada coming out and kind of shitting on the new well, mary hertz um, also wrote something in in yeah. the globe and mail that's kind of the you know, he he did the the hashtag on Twitter one dose summer for Ontario, yeah. where you have you know F nine and a quiet place part two, and even with uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw, uh, the film we're all looking forward to. I am. Um, <laughs> God, you're, you're trash. Uh, anyways, um, all kind of they're not going to be getting premium VOD releases at this point, anyways, in Canada, where you know we've been lucky with warner brothers and uh disney where you know they have kind of thrown us a bone and, and it's it's, a, it's actually a really good write-up i mean barry is very much in in sort of like into the barry like i know him barry hertz is is, is very much into the minutiae of sort of like looking at the statistics and information that's kind of going on about that mm-hmm. and especially in ontario because yeah. this obviously isn't happening all around the world but um it's just unfortunate that you know like some of these movies that we're really looking forward to to seeing um you know we might not get around to covering until you know later in the summer or early fall and we will still review them it just won't be until a little bit later and that's you know yeah. one of the you know the unfortunate things about you know um the pandemic and also um sort of getting the vaccines out there yeah so yeah to it i mean I'll, I'll move away from hockey and move into what you're talking about but yeah barry always does a good job in the globe mail of kind of summarizing what's going on in the canadian kind of film industry and cinemas and things like that and yeah that article's great you should go check it out but uh when it comes to eric and i talking about it yeah it's just like yeah it doesn't like spiral we're a little late on a review there because it's still not out here in in ontario it does look like it's that 21 day window which is that super short window that um you know i think some studios are taking a universal and and i think Lionsgate being one of them of you know three weeks after the release that seems like it's coming to vod like i haven't gotten a confirmation but it seems like on apple and places it's saying june 1st for spiral which seems accurate um and and yeah i mean it sucks but it is what it is right like it's just i want to go back to the movies i mean i feel a little bit like with vin diesel you want to go back to yeah yeah and i think with something like quiet place and then f9 like i think drive-ins will be open soon so ontario came out and 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 barry also summarized this so go check out his twitter i retweeted it at one point and a couple things that he was summarizing and same um and the fate so ontario if people a lot of the people who listen to us are in canada and ontario so like uh and people who aren't we can kind of describe what's happening but like there we're still in lockdown until doug ford sucks that's what's happening that is is very true uh a lot uh, we are getting our vaccinations like eric has his first dose i have my everyone i know pretty much has their first dose now 
uh, and we're trying to work out our second doses. And and with that being said, cases are going down here. They're still in over a thousand. I think they were under a thousand a few days of the week, like which is good for us right now in Ontario. Um, Durham's doing pretty well. Like I think, you know, we're under a hundred cases per day now, which is like, it, which is pretty solid. And, um, and then this, they're doing like a phased rollout. So there's going to be phase one, phase two, phase three, and it's based on number of people being vaccinated and cases and things like that. So phase one, everything's pretty much still shut down for the most part, like non-essential businesses. That's including movie theaters. I think drive-ins are opening with phase one which should be they said middle of june so june 14th ish ish is when they're targeting phase one for like i think it's a certain amount of people being getting their first doses and things like that so there is a potential that we could see you know a quiet place you know a couple weeks after its release or f9 on its release as long as we go to a drive-in to go see it uh, and for me that's not the optimal way of you know watching you know, a movie for the first time. I love the drive-in. I think it's a kitschy, fun, like nostalgic, you know, viewing experience for a movie you either don't care about or you're seeing for the second time. And also if it's not I, dark, like, like yeah. when I'm, when I'm talking about, I'm talking about the movie itself, visually speaking, because that can also affect it. If like, you know, the sun is going down as you're watching the first film and I'm yeah. sure a quiet place is going to be, there's going yeah. to be a lot of dark shots, which will probably be hard to see as it's, the sun goes Yeah, down. I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters at the drive-in, and I couldn't see a fucking thing the whole movie. So, like, it's... That's, that's it's, your pull quote. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like... So, I love the drive-in, but it really depends. Like, I saw uh, Good Boys at the drive-in when Nevis and I got our um, engagement photos done. That's a perfectly fine movie to see at a drive-in. A comedy mostly takes place during the day. You can see it. It's, like, you don't... The sound does doesn't matter that much so you can listen to it through your car radio so like i don't know like I, that's my question to you eric will you go to a drive-in to go see those movies or would you rather just wait you know what i mean i i would definitely get it's been a while since I, i've been but if that's your only option to see these well, right that's away. what i'm saying like i would i would give it a go at least once but it, i think i what i would want to do is I would want to see something maybe I've already seen. Like, although <laughs> I don't want to go to see Spiral. To, like, I'll I'll wait for Spiral, right, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. I wouldn't want to test it out with having to watch Spiral again. Yeah. But yeah. like, A Quiet Place to an F nine. I mean, not that I have to follow the plot with F nine, but like that. It's just something like you mentioned, first time experience watching a movie. I don't want it to be ruined if it's something that I'm actually looking forward to seeing. Yeah. If it's something that it's kind of like Peter Rabbit 2. Yeah. Fine. I'll go and see that. But I will give it a shot uh, to, to kind of just see how I feel about it. And especially like when it's programmed, like I feel like if something is, if, if it's a double bill and it's a movie that I want to see, that's playing second and it's night by that time, I think I'll yeah. be fine because like, honestly, the last, memory i have of going to the drive-in was back in 97 and i've talked oh, about wow. this before on the regular show when i it was a double bill of deep impact and titanic and peterborough yeah, yeah. um i also saw titanic at the drive-in at sobble beach drive-in i think the way james cameron intended oh, it to be seen yeah <laughs> uh, it was the second movie too which is oh, ridiculous yeah. because it's a three-hour film yeah yeah um yeah. And I have fond memories of that just because I was one of the few people, one of the few kids that stayed awake through the to whole watch thing. It. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so it's been a while. I know that you and Nevis went not too long ago. We love going. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like, and I've always loved going to the drive-in. So uh, my family had a cottage at in Sobble Beach, Ontario. Uh, if you're from this area, you might know it. Uh, near Owen Sound is probably the biggest city that it, it's near. And there's an Owen Sound drive-in theater. So whenever we would go to the cottage, each summer we would go up to the cottage for two weeks. And me being the movie dork and the video game dork, I would force my parents, I would take all my video game systems and I would force them to drive me a, a half an hour, 40 minutes into Owen Sound to rent movies and video games. Um, although to the blockbuster in Owen Mom, Sound. Mom, I got to get the new Duke Nukem. <laughs> I remember playing Pokemon Snap nonstop because like I never loved the beach even as a kid. I didn't love the outdoors, Same. right? We're and, pale like, and pasty yeah. white kids. Um, I didn't mind the beach when I was super young. As I got older, when everyone would, when we were at the cottage and they would go to the beach, I would rent v- VHSs or DVDs from the local video store, which was always fun, like the convenience store near my cottage. Or we, I would go to Blockbuster and Owen Sound and rent video games um, and play them while everyone went to the beach. So I would sit in the scalding hot cottage because it had no air conditioning and no airflow or anything. And I would just sweat my ass off and play video games or watch movies. That's when I remember seeing you know, so many different movies for the first time was at the cottage because I'd, I'd be able to rent like R rated movies or whatever. And they, I would just watch them while people are at the, at the beach. Um, anyways, that being said, uh, Owen sound had a, a drive in movie theater and we would go two or three times. I would make everyone go. So whenever we'd have a night where we're like, okay, we don't want to spend in the cottage. We would drive to the Owen sound drive in. And each week they would have two different screens playing, you know, a double bill. So I, as a kid, we'd go all the time. I remember seeing tons and tons of stuff there. And then as I got older, you know, I stopped pretty much when we stopped going to Sobble, I stopped going. But then when Nevis and I started dating, um, it's something we really kind of enjoyed uh, doing, you know, at least once a year, we would go to the one in Mississauga, Oakville, I forget exactly where it is. Um, or whenever we're in a cottage country, because that's usually where they are. Like, I think it's harder because we're in Whippy and in, in Oshawa. Like, there's not one. We're in the suburbs. Clo- there's not one super close to us. And I remember always talking to my uncle Mark about this and being like, we should open a drive in in Oshawa or near Oshawa because there's not one around here. And I'm like, yeah, it's just hard to find that land. And usually you don't build a new drive in anymore. They're just like you buy an old one like no one's buying a piece of land and opening a drive in. Um, <laughs> but I would love to. I think it would be great. But. I spent $2 million on this plot of land. (laughs) I really, really enjoy it, but more for the nostalgia and the kitschiness of it, like that old school kind of feeling um, of going to the movies, much like going to like an old crappy movie theater, right? Like it's just like sometimes you like that, like a rainbow cinemas even, or you go to something even older, like a Fox theater. Even though the Fox is is a nice nice theater. It's just an older theater that is kind of- That's more just for the nostalgia and the the vibe of it. I don't mean it as like a- kitschy shitty experience but where like, the drive-in like it is, is partly you're not yeah. going for the the sound and the picture quality of watching yeah. the movie like it's more for the experience being surrounded by other people in cars watching a movie yeah. that way outdoors during the summer yeah it's so very I, nostalgic in yeah that way. totally so i i do think that they will open up in mid-june um or maybe even sooner like after it's this getting lockdown. warm out man like it yeah is and the, and the lockdown if this lockdown does end on june 2nd i could see drive-ins opening soon after that right because i feel like it makes zero sense of why those can't 
be open as long as you you even do double space like have half the amount of cars in that you would normally have have them marked the parking spots and just say you have to leave a big gap in between the cars and then um and wear a mask when you're outside of your vehicle or whatever and i feel like um that should be okay and i uh, i don't see why that hasn't been able to even even during all of this, if you want people to have some more outdoor activities or safe activities, you're all in your own car. It's not like you're sharing space with anyone. So I really do hope uh, drive-ins open up and I will be very tempted to go see a quiet place if I know we're going to have to wait three months or or at least until theaters open, which looks like it could be end of fucking July or something like that. Or at Fast the and Furious, right? Yeah, like Fast and Furious at the drive-in kind of makes sense, I guess. But like... Well, you're I'd in a still... car, you're watching movies about yeah, cars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then when it comes to theaters in general, like I, I, I'm of two minds of it because like I get why Ellis Jacob is coming out and saying this stuff and I get why, you know, the theater owners of, of Canada and Ontario are like you know what there's been no proven cases like attributed to movie theaters and and, you know we do a great job with the health and safety of like theaters being open during all this i don't necessarily completely agree um like i feel like once you know things start to open up if you're opening up other businesses to 15%, 25%, 50%, then I don't see why um, a movie theater can't be in that same realm. Uh, but I don't know. I, there's not enough research, I feel like. They can say all they want, like nothing's been attributed to movie theaters, um, and that might be the case. But it's still a bunch of people sitting in a, 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 a room together. For a certain amount of time. time, Right. So when I'm double vaccinated, will I feel comfortable going? Yeah, I think so. More so than you would than Um, last year, right? Yeah. When we when we went to see Tenet and New Mutants, what a double bill, you know, back to back (laughs) days. Um, you know, the numbers were down. But even then there was there there was, you know, the factor of the okay, this is still a risk. You know, but we were more comfortable with it, even though we we knew that we were still taking a chance. Now, with getting, you know, when we get the second vax and we give the two week incubation period for it and things like that, I think at that point people will feel more comfortable to get back out there. So just like we're seeing in the U S right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it takes time. It's just frustrating that like, again, you know, we're not Canada doesn't produce the vax here. You know, we're importing a lot of it. Now we are starting to get it in a, in a more frequent We're at the mercy of suppliers, right? Yeah. Like it's really like, I'm hoping those second doses get bumped up because right now it's looking like, you know, end of august september ish august for the people who got it fairly early like our parents and things like that but some people it is or even july i think for some people um, those baby boomers though then, they'll be out in full force in july yeah, uh, they'll get to see spiral in theaters the way it was meant to be seen um and then Just imagine my 93 year old grandfather watching spiral <laughs> And then uh, for us, it's looking like September ish, right? But I'm hoping that stuff gets bumped up and, you know, but it does look like the summer movie season is pretty much, you know, um, you know, a bust in uh, Ontario, in in Ontario, at least. And um, drive ins might save that. And I think people will flock out to them. Um, And me being one of them, because if it goes between having to wait, you know, 
some studios are doing the, uh, you know, 30 days or, or 41 days or 21 days of, so like, that's not that big of a deal. Like spiral, if it's out on June 1st, what we had to wait a couple weeks, I know you don't even care, but for me, nope, not like, at all. for me, I could have, I had an opportunity to see spiral and I was like, ah, I just, I, I'm just going to slowly make my way through the saw movies and then I'll, I'll get it in, you know, HD or 4k or whatever, when it comes out on, on VOD or maybe we'll get a screener this week, but, but um, you're also, you're also going by um, the Canadian guidelines and release because yeah. what you're referencing is, you know, like, you know, we could have contacted Lionsgate and this is again, you know, entitlement and privilege coming into play, but and inside baseball, but stuff, we right. wanted to be respectful of the Canadian release, release strategy and the PR teams that put this yeah, together. Cause it feels like you're going over their head. And, we and don't it's just a weird thing of like, Yes, it is very local and I could see a newspaper or, you know, more classic traditional means of criticism and stuff like that that's in print and and things like that or a local website. But when you have a, many of us who are doing, um, uh, you know, basically are internationally available because everything's online, right? Like we're still adapting as an industry where even PR teams, I'm surprised, like I guess because you run local screenings and stuff like that when they were in person that's why you would have local teams like if everything moved digitally like i could just see there being you still need people to focus on different areas because there's so many different critics but, right but there's um, still the old guard too that you just mentioned where you have like you print know, yeah. newspaper newspaper print media which is basically or a website that's a toronto out. specific website or that's something been like around that. for a long time that has sort of the acclaim like a globe and mail or a now or, post yeah. or well now you know toronto still, star specifically yeah. but i like, just mean localized uh, you know still, yeah yeah like, yeah yeah that has some prestige or somebody that's been writing there for a long time i think longevity also plays a very big part but to uh, me that, that yeah that just makes sense that you go okay well you have to hold it until the toronto release of a movie where or the premium release yeah. like, it, like if you get like if we get a screen like sometimes we'll get um review links sent to us but they'll be like can you hold this until it's available to stream promising young woman being one yeah. of those that that happened so our review went out later than you know our american colleagues and different things like that even though we have like you look at our chartable each week and i'm not up our own ass or anything it's just like we are that was you our know, original name for this podcast, yeah, Up Our Own Ass. Yeah. Um, just like you can tell that like people listen to this in, in different countries and the release dates are all different. But I, I mean, even that being said, we still go by the Canadian release because we are based in Canada, right? So yeah. like it's just that that's what it is. So sometimes that'll be earlier than when things come out. Sometimes that'll be later. Um, and it just is what it is. And unfortunately – that's the situation we're in right now. And, and I really want to get back to the movies and I feel more comfortable now that even with my first vaccination, yeah. Uh, even with my first vaccination, I'm like, would I go right now? No, the cases are still too high. I'd have to determine like what the Durham cases were and, and how I felt about everything. But, but would um, I lick a dirty toilet? Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if this lobbying by, you know, like the, uh, theater owners will do anything and if they will let them open in, you know, phase two, maybe instead of phase three, um, uh, it could work, but I'm not sure. And I would um, love to get Ellis Jacobs on this show. Dude, I thought about it. I thought about reaching out cause we obviously had Sarah Van Lang, um, their communications director, uh, pop on to, com uh, on 
to conversations, but if we could get Ellis Jacob, cause I'd just let him go off. I'd be like, yeah, well that, off, that, that article uh, you sent me, yeah. like he, he's gotten to that point where you could tell he's just he's fed up frustrated, yeah. not only because of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. I mean, even before the pandemic and lockdown mm-hmm. started, you know, Cineplex was going through a tough time financially. So I'm sold, sure that he was feeling and now that. that sale fell through because of the pandemic. Right. And now they're all suing each other because, because of that. So it's, yeah, I would love, I don't know what he, I mean, obviously he could talk about this um, and I would love that. So maybe that's something we look into, but um, it, it would be a lot of, it would be very interesting to talk to him based on everything going on. So um, I'm hope we're able to uh, return soon, um, but obviously return want to, to do innocence. it, but obviously want to do it uh, safely and, uh, and all that. So um, I mean, maybe Amazon will, you know, oh, spend yeah. 9 million, $9 billion on uh, Cineplex in Canada. Yeah. Let's get into yeah. that. I mean, um, we'll, we're going to jump around all over the place. We'll get into what we've been watching and then stuff like that. But yeah, we just, um, we, we're just, we're just, we're just vibing, man. I love, that's what I love about this show, baby. Um, yeah. Amazon, um, <laughs> fucking $9 billion for MGM. It looks like, like the deal. Yeah, hasn't It hasn't been, been confirmed. It's in the works. And, and it seems like it's closer. Cause like, you know, other play, like originally it's been on and off talks for a while. And, and now it seems like Amazon, finally going to pull the trigger they haven't formally officially announced it but it looks like they are going to purchase mgm for nine billion dollars which is more than you know disney paid for marvel or lucasfilm or uh many other companies buying other things i don't know how much they paid for fox i forget um not nine billion i can tell you that much i don't know i'm gonna look but eric what are your thoughts here because like uh we think amazon has too much money uh well they definitely (laughs) do they definitely do can can they give that to us can we spend nine billion dollars on like a an okay i'll take like a give me a couple thousand dollars i'm good um you know what it's it's interesting in that like amazon is asserting themselves and sort of creating a competition with I think Disney directly like there is now this sort of like versus mentality. Okay, Disney, the Disney Fox was seventy one billion. Oh, okay, so it was more. (laughs) All right, wow. Because people have this; these corporations have too much money on their hands, and it's just like it's like thinking about it's like what is that physically look like this money like it's just because it, you know that all of it just goes from like one electronic account to another like it's not it's just numbers it's not real it's it's just corporations swapping value it's not anything other than that but in terms of of amazon having you know the the mgm catalog and you know future titles it's going to be interesting in a couple of ways one being a physical media collector, I wonder if that will also kind of put a, 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 a another nail in the coffin for uh, you know boutique labels trying to get or the rights to it'll these give films. them. Now they have a home video label that they own that they could continue to put out both Amazon stuff. And- yeah, I mean Amazon. Amazon is has worked with and they are working with uh, Criterion, for example. Like they're going to be releasing One Night in Miami and uh, Sound of Metal, and they already released Cold War. But at the same time, I could also see them putting an end to that because it's like, well, you know, why do we need to produce? all this or manufacture you know all this uh, you know physical media like from the blu-ray cases to the printing of the you know the the discs themselves and and all that kind of stuff like 
that's going to be fascinating to see down the line because there's also been talks where you know other major studios are questioning whether or not to discontinue physical media and again it's up to boutique labels to sort of make deals with yeah we've said that for a while that it'll uh, but it keeps coming up warner brothers most recently they're with warner archives for example warner archives is is a uh, subsidiary of 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 warner brothers and they release a lot of you know classic movies from the 30s 40s and then also some you know like b movies and new line stuff that they have as well and there's been talks about um warner brothers literally shutting down um yeah. you know their their manufacturing companies for blu-rays and dvds partly because of hbo max and partly because yeah you know everything is is become digitized and digital and, and what as a collector like would you prefer that everything is easily accessible like it is now with just like general releases or would you i guess you're not gonna prefer it but like i, I like the accessibility i know what you're going for here but the or the boutique kind of ex, like the collectors because i think if everything i if, want to own it matt that's i understand so i'm saying say that still sticks around and maybe it's not every title that's what's going to be kind of the tricky thing because say you know disney warner brothers everyone gets rid of their you know physical media arm but then they start licensing out their titles to the boutique labels like the criteria oh so they would still print them or are we talking that you'd have to still like it would all be streaming still i think you'd still print some things but it would go to these boutique labels so you would have different either a boutique label that they create that they're print to order or whatever or a boutique label like a criterion or a what uh, what other boutique labels Scream are there? Factory, there? Shout yeah, Factory, those kind of things of like that are specifically in creating. Because I think like that's Kino. where that market will still thrive, right? Because I yeah. don't think the like Blu-ray at the Walmart is really a viable <laughs> thing. That that sounds such like anymore. a suburban thing to say. I'm gonna go pick up a Blu-ray at the Walmart. <laughs> that's what I mean, though. Like, I think you are one of you and many other cinephiles and stuff are are the mainstream video baby. Like, yeah, the few people that still get the standard release of a movie when it comes out. Most people will just watch it on streaming now, which is why these things are dying. My argument there is like I I can see that dying, and it yeah. probably will die. But I always think much like vinyl records and things like that, like there will be companies that go, okay, we still want to make collector premium home video releases of these things and they will pay good money to these studios to license out the titles to print on Criterion or Shout Factory or Kino or, or whatever you're saying. Which is what they're doing now, essentially, yeah. with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. What, what what I was thinking, or maybe I just misinterpreted what you were, you were talking yeah. about, was like, if everything went digital, would I be okay with adapting to digital yeah. completely? I would say no, because you don't necessarily own any of sure, those titles yeah. even if you have subscriptions or you purchase something off of itunes yeah that doesn't necessarily mean there's lawsuits going you... on right now with the with the itunes stuff because people are suing apple by saying like you can't legally say you're buying something right and just buy you're not because because again like you know something... you're technically long-term rental <laughs> like... Ex exactly and like you know rights could go back to the original shareholder or you know you could move to another country and rights in different countries are different for for films being released internationally and nationally um so yeah like when it comes to physical media i'm always like okay it's not going to go anywhere i have a copy of it i can watch it anytime 
Um, and that's my comfort zone. You know, I do like the accessibility of, of streaming. Like I, I, I have nothing against watching a movie or, or renting or quote unquote buying a movie. But it's just making digitally. sure that you actually have it so you yeah. can watch it. Yeah. Cause it's there. And, and like, recently I, I maybe i talked about this on the last draft but or i didn't like um shout factory uh is is losing the rights to freaks and geeks the series yeah. and i didn't have that on blu-ray yet so i i panic bought, bought it i bought it online <laughs> yeah. but i bought i bought it for around um 60 dollars us and now yeah. it's 250 yeah because it's now announced as out of print right out of yeah. print right and so um that's going out of print completely but it is also available like on cbc's CBC gems or, or, or what? Oh um, yeah. It's always going like to be, that. but I, I understand why you would want this stuff, but I yeah, just, cause now I, I own it and it's there and I can watch I just it think, anytime. And you have and a pretty good, but... you have a pretty good collection of most of the things you want. Right. Right. But and then like more. moving forward, I think you're going to see just like, it's going to be much like, you know, cinemas versus streaming where it's like certain movies are going to go to the theaters and certain movies are going straight to streaming. And then there'll be some hybrid stuff. And I feel like that's what home video is going to happen. It will be a boutique kind of like not every movie is going to get a home video release just because some movies will not sell enough uh, on physical media. Um, obviously, there's always going to be those heavy hitters, whether it comes from an auteur director or they're a blockbuster movie or something like that. But yeah. And, uh, and again, like you look at the new Bond movie, um, this is this is going to be fascinating to talk about like what. If going back deal, to the Amazon purchase, yeah, yeah. If this deal happens, what the specificity is in terms of like the the you know the the legal uh, writing, like will this be something that is you know after the the merger deal takes place, will the films that were um, bought bef- that that were made beforehand still go out theatrically and traditionally and and get the blu-ray releases down the line or will you know those movies like i could see someone like right now like paul thomas anderson like sweating a little bit because he his next movie with bradley cooper um which is tentatively titled soggy bottom um is an mgm film and the reason Mm -hmm. why he went to mgm it was supposed to be at focus features originally because they were going to be filmmaker friendly right mgm was starting to rebuild their 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 brand as matt said the filmmaker friendly um theatrical theatrical studio and i even made the thing that like nolan would i think end up going there after the warner brothers snafu now with amazon making this deal how does it affect somebody like that who is like nolan very pro you know theatrical release only i you know like no window uh but amazon has always been to... sort of theatrically they're better than of, netflix yeah. in that like they have a longer window than two weeks but net but amazon has kind of sort of flopped back and forth in the last few years because they used to even release more stuff on physical media themselves or they worked with Lionsgate specifically. Mm. So like when Manchester by the Sea was released, that got a traditional theatrical release, got a Blu-ray release, and then it was also available to stream online. Now a lot of their stuff is, you know, when theaters were opened, it it streams, but then, you know, like it plays for a couple of weeks in a theater and then it goes online and they were almost copying the Netflix model. That's why but there was it, more hesitancy towards like, yeah. say something like the report with Adam driver. So they yeah. changed their model. Um, but don't that. you think that they're now just going to match what the other studios do now that if they have MGM, like if everyone's going to a, what looks to be 
either a 41 day window or a 21. It's probably going to be the 41 day thing, like just over a month. Like I could see them if they get MGM that MGM be their, you know, theatrical release label that they put out their movies in theaters with. And then like, and then it goes to Amazon three, four weeks later, right? Like goes to prime video. And I feel like that's a smart, play of giving everything you know still a theatrical window i mean some things will go straight to prime video that's just always going to be the case but i feel like before they always had to partner with someone else when they were releasing their amazon studio stuff like a a theatrical distribution arm right like they always partnered with someone else to release their stuff where now if they and even mgm was they they often they had united art artists releasing which was their kind of um distribution kind of arm right yeah the bond movies rocky that kind of their theatrical arm where they had orion originally as well but orion now is with warner brothers orion's still them it's oh it is still them it's still them but they always partnered with a different studio to release it so that's what's interesting about this whole thing is like now will amazon use united artists as their theatrical arm that they're going to release stuff and mgm be the production arm much like you know disney's keeping fox around for that or um and what is going to be david lynch's arm in this situation yeah yeah. Uh, he's over at netflix now i think um so yeah it's just it's gonna be fascinating to see like why spend nine billion dollars on this i think obviously it's to they have the um, money yeah they have it (laughs) i I think i think it just comes down to it's a power play yeah and it's 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 gaining capital on something that your competitors can't buy and also just having some leverage against oh and you you inherit a whole you know a studio that has been doing this for over a hundred years right like one of the originals so so, i mean it's it it may amazon so new to the game where you go okay we've been doing this we need we're really gonna take this seriously let's buy one of the oldest movie studios um ever and then have that kind of bolster our are and take us seriously well people were already taking them seriously but and then you inherit a lot of different library titles you inherit things that could possibly be franchises i mean what you brought up bond and that's a great question of like bond has always been half owned or at least partly owned by mgm and the rest is the broccoli family um the broccoli family are the ones who always um decided on distribution for the bond movies but now it'll be interesting if amazon owns mgm which then owns half of bond will they be the de facto studio that releases bond movies moving forward or will they go to the highest bidder because the broccoli family still controls that so or is there some sort of deal that they now make with mgm slash amazon because now that they want to release their own films or maybe it's that thing where theatrically it's somewhere but then it's on prime video a month later um and does this affect even international release of of those movies because again a lot of the mgm stuff more recently has been through universal Universal pictures canada and then bond before that uh was with sony so um and then then like something that also you brought up before like with the streaming wars um is you know you look at what amazon is doing here apple is also doing a lot of this with certain filmmakers you know they're spending over 200 million dollars on killers of the flower moon instead of buying studios they're buying filmmakers essentially netflix can't do this netflix can't spend nine billion dollars on no 
a, a student. They've already they spent can't. so much on content and they're building themselves up where a lot so, of these places, what we, what we've talked about is Apple, Amazon have this pile of money sitting there because they make so much money from their other businesses where Netflix doesn't make computers. They don't make uh, online shopping retail where they can make billions of dollars. Like, so that's, what's fascinating and wild about this is that Apple, Amazon, Disney, even per se with their theme parks and everything else, like have this pile of cash where they can spend on a studio where uh, I mean, Netflix spends a ton of money on content and they get creators like uh, DB Weiss and 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 what's his Game of Thrones dudes and but that doesn't and, necessarily uh, mean anything because yeah. it's it's almost mm-hmm. like Netflix is like again going back to you know all these other studios or companies have other revenue streams. Netflix has the one, and it's almost weirdly not not that I'm calling Netflix a, a a Ponzi scheme, but it's almost like that where it's like once you buy in, you're mm-hmm. in. There's nothing else that you are are you're you're paying for one subscription fee yes you they can raise the price for that but again like these other studios these corporations have other ways of making money that aren't just through film so they're not relying on that completely where netflix is relying entirely on you know the 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 streaming service and people subscribing to it and and you know they they've even talked about cracking down on people you know sharing um, you know, subscriptions and things like that, and and whether or not that's going to be uh, implemented it's sooner gonna rather than later, even, like right. Or will but, that but turn it feels like they, 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 they're with the Ponzi scheme analogy. Like they're 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 adding more and more to the pot. They're spending more money. They're bringing in more creators. But it doesn't necessarily mean that those things are individually going to unless they started doing what Disney Plus is doing, where they create premium VOD releases of certain things. So, like for example, if one of their movies um, is playing theatrically in the theaters for a couple of weeks, but they also have the option of, you know, you can watch it now at home, but if you want to watch it within this like two weeks or month, there's no way. They no, they that. won't. Like, but, the, but that's the only way that they, they can truly that's make why more money. And they're losing. My bold prediction is that they're going to be bought by someone. Yeah. I, my bold prediction is Apple, or I think Apple, because Apple is the one that hasn't really spent any of their money on, you know, they've spent on the Scorsese's and the and, and stuff like they that. They spent more but, money on the product um, than they than they have on, you know, the acquiring. Or yeah, acquiring like anything. and and everyone's acquired like all the big streamers or all the big companies like Disney buying Fox and now amazon buying mgm and like i don't know who else would be up for sale like a sony pictures or well sony made um, the deal with netflix so that would be interesting as well right so that sony you know like a lot of their stuff that comes out on on vod will go to netflix because sony doesn't have their own streaming service service. so So they made that deal yeah so and like you said i don't think netflix has the money to purchase a sony pictures they have the money to make these kind of deals i think but I just, I can't, I don't know, dude, it's going to be fascinating. And like to go through what Amazon purchases with MGM. So they get MGM studios, they get MGM home entertainment, they get United artists releasing, uh, they get, uh, American international pictures, they get Orion pictures, they get Orion classics, they get MGM television, uh, which includes like, uh, a lot of big shows. Like I think hands handmaid's tale and Fargo and, uh, a lot of big TV shows as well. So I'm wondering if all those will transfer eventually over to Prime Video. 
which um, is fascinating because now the, a lot of those are on Hulu, which is is yeah. in the U.S., which is Disney related. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's wild, like how long those deals last with those companies and if those move over. So they get MGM HD, Epics, uh, uh, Impact. I'm trying to. There's a lot of other stuff here, but I'm just listing the stuff that I recognize for content. Uh, li- Impacts the the yeah. company that everyone <laughs> Epics, knows and yeah. loves. Uh, content libra- libraries. They get uh, post April 1986 MGM Films, MGM Animation, post 1952 United Artists Library, uh, Orion, American International Pictures, Samuel Goldwyn, uh, 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 Polygram. Uh, CDR, Castle Rock Entertainment pre-1994, um, Empire International Pictures, N- Nelson Entertainment. There's tons of them here. Um, so like, there, I, what, what we're basically saying is, you know, like this, this is quite an investment uh, for Amazon and one that really sort of has them staking their claim in the studio system that they want to do this sort of as a long-term uh, thing. And for them to you know, go after the catalog of a major studio that's been around since, you know, it's one of the original studios that's been around yeah, for 1924. So long. Yeah. Um, 97 you know, the, years. It's, almost it's been around 100. as long as Mank. Uh, yeah. You know, like it, it is kind of a big deal if this happens, you know, like this, it, it hasn't happened yet. Knock on wood, but I mean, it's looking like it's going. Yeah. Around. And so I think it is going to be, what a lot of people would consider a game changer in 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 Hollywood and and how that landscape is going to change afterwards will also be fascinating in terms of like what gets made and 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 how like will a lot of these companies that are that are working now kind of be um merged into more than one company so do you need you know united artists and and orion and all that like you know that that'll be interesting as well because a lot of like the smaller fox companies the subsidiaries were basically sort of you know people lost a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of those companies yeah which is the shitty thing about this stuff right like and yeah and that is the shitty thing and and i i agree with you that a lot of the bottom will fall out with a lot of these different mini little studios um uh I think they need to have a distinct kind of vibe to them, like Searchlight, right? Like Searchlight is the indie arm of Fox and then Fox. Like, I think we're not going to get many 20th century movies moving forward, right? Like, it's going to be Disney and Searchlight. Like, I don't, I think Disney bought Fox for the franchises and their library I don't think they're going to produce Well, they bought it for the empty man. Let's be, let's be real. Yeah, 100%. But I can't see many movies being branded as 20th century movies moving forward no unless they already are like like, for example like if something like alien or predator is released they might put that on on yes i agree because it is it's like the classic history history right where if it's if it's new content or something moving forward to your point it's going to be disney disney plus um or 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 searchlight studios specifically yeah they're not going to bother with 20th century or 20th century i guess if they're making right, any so. r-rated stuff they might put 20th century fox on it just because to differentiate as their adult brand maybe right. if they're making more dramas like they used to do with um uh touchstone and was it touchstone and and uh yeah and Bue Vista and, uh boner vista yes boner vista boner vista ralph boner vista um so i could see them any r-rated stuff and then when it comes to amazon with um 
MGM. Yeah, like it's been so interesting because like you look at MGM was producing a lot of stuff, but they always partnered usually with a studio. I mean, most of the time, like if you look at, you know, things that are coming up or even Wrath of Man was an MGM uh, movie, right? Yeah. Um, was United Artists releasing, but then it was released by Lionsgate and Studio Canal and, and VVS Films here. So it, it really depends. Like you have Samaritan coming, uh, Dog, uh, Snake Eyes, uh, which is partly an MGM, but it's a Paramount release. Um, you have Respect coming, um, which is a United Artists release. But Aretha Franklin pick. biopic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Universal Pictures is releasing that into uh, internationally. Candyman being released by Universal Pictures. Uh, Adam's Family 2, No Time to Die, House of Gucci, Soggy Bottom uh, are all United Artists releasing films, but then international international distribution by Universal Pictures. So like, I doubt this deal, if it gets done, say it gets done soon, which it looks like it probably will. Um, it still takes quite a long time. Like we saw how long it took for that Fox deal to go through. Right. So I feel yeah. like the rest of the movies coming out this year aren't going to be affected and, and stuff. It's all the stuff moving forward, but like, and then the franchises, it's not really a franchise play. Cause I wouldn't say MGM had like other than Rocky RoboCop, um, I guess those would be like the two ones that stick out for me. And Bond are, as, uh, like, as already mentioned as yeah, well, right? Like that's, yeah. that's probably the big get for them, but it also gives them opportunities to maybe mm. look at what they have catalog wise and say like, oh, well maybe mm. this could be a franchise or maybe we could spin this off into a series like Fargo or something like that. Right. And it gives them that ability to do that now. And, and that'll be interesting to see, going forward where you know some of these movies might play out you know like do we um you know make a, a series out of this or do we sort of try to reboot one of these failed uh projects or or something like that and i think that's also another op opportunity for for amazon studios to you know take the mgm catalog and say like okay well like let, let's and this is where physical media and, and and even you know streaming comes into play they can look at the the marketing and look at like okay the, these movies are actually you know cult classics or sell really well maybe there is an audience that would be interested in seeing this come back as a revival or something like that yeah. and so there's that opportunity there and and again like you know moving forward it will just be fascinating to see if they distill a lot of these smaller, you know, subsidiaries into one of the bigger ones, or if they keep them and like what their focus is going to be, because like, there's a lot of stuff like Orion was trying to rebrand recently as well, you know? And, and, and so with that, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see um, what that's going to be like. And, and, you know, it, it it's, it's, it's interesting in terms of what the future may hold, but also it's a little bit scary because it, it feels like you're getting something that's a little bit more homogenized yeah. again. So like you're not getting as much creative freedom and not to say that like beforehand, like MGM was like this like free flowing court, you know, studio that was like a, an outlier to the rest of them. It's still a, it's still a movie studio and it, it you know, it, it, doesn't take the risks that it did in the you know the 1970s before films like you know heaven's gate or something like that right. um but you know like i wonder now like if there will be like a filmmaker who 
isn't on par with like say Ridley Scott who has like a really great idea and that could have made something with MGM when they were kind of rebranding themselves with you know people like Paul Thomas like Paul Thomas Anderson is is, is, is going back to him again like I think is going to be really fascinating because if he has a, a great movie idea that you know like is a little riskier for the mainstream like where does he go now with it right like it yeah seems- that is a great question because like yeah, the Nolan thing you brought up MGM, and I always said he's going to end up at Disney. I just feel like that's probably um, they they want original IPs and the Christopher people that Nolan's will, the Mighty Ducks, and then who will give him a giant budget to just make a PG thirteen, you know, action movie, or I even think. R if he if he goes with um, Searchlight or 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 yeah or, yeah. or Fox, but um, yeah, it'll be fascinating, and like yeah, who are the filmmaker friendly? Like who, where's, I guess Tarantino partnered with, you know, Sony for. But even um, that will be fascinating now, like with that relationship that Sony has with Netflix. Yeah. um, Not that that will. But he has a good relationship with Netflix too, right? With those director's cuts of. Right. But uh, he doesn't, I I think he's one of those guys that's like, he is so dead on like everything. It has to be traditional. Oh, I know. But even Sony, like even the deal with Netflix was you we're still releasing our films theatrically it's only if we decide to do something for streaming that you i got one more movie and i'm going to a24 with it (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised dude like i mean i don't know if they could afford him but like they probably could like i don't know who knows because they're with lionsgate right like they're a lot of like they're they're so at least when it comes to the home media side of things they're they're associated with sure lionsgate and apple now too right yeah but but even then like uh hulu has false positive which is a24 right and um um, so they they partner with a lot of different people too. So uh, I'm not entirely sure, man. But like, it's obviously a huge get for Amazon, and I think we'll only see. There's only a few people who can afford to still do this, right? I mean, Disney obviously bought multiple different things with Marvel, Lucasfilm, and then Fox. They're probably done. They can't buy anything else. Amazon, no, but they'll after... they'll be making money for years and years to come off of that deal because those franchises are cyclical where it's like you know if one say like for example like right now like i would say star wars with the exception of the mandalorian um is somewhat weighing compared to marvel marvel keeps going but they have something to fall back on within all of these franchises so it's like if one isn't doing well at least another one is and they're making tons of money off of that like probably in 10 years from now they'll have more money than they they you know started oh, hey, with oh with they that. probably already do yeah yeah um so yeah it'll be interesting I, apple is the one to keep an eye on i think like i um they just have way too much money and um and haven't really spent a lot when it comes to you know so like anything that comes up for sale after this if it's a big studio uh, or is looking to sell i could see apple swooping in and and purchasing them right but yeah um, and and apple flexed its muscle a little bit at sundance with buying coda and and even though like that's not a movie studio they spent 25 million dollars on a film that probably you know if it was being picked up by like you know pre-disney searchlight or something like that would would probably maybe make that in theaters (laughs) yeah and would be bought for maybe five to ten million at yeah max yeah and so that's Uh, gonna be interesting as well because that's that was a complaint that like when when disney searchlight bought a hidden life the the terrence malick movie at can it up the price at the marketplace right so international distributors couldn't afford they couldn't afford to buy that's that's the thing with 
when you got these heavy hitters now, when you have almost like the big three or four with like um, Disney, Netflix, uh, Amazon and Apple, um, they have so much money that, you know, it's so hard for anyone else to buy anything other than the shit that those four don't want. Right. Right. Like when it comes to, uh, unless you have a filmmaker again, that really wants a theatrical release. And even then, like Apple's been pretty good. Amazon's been pretty good. Disney's been pretty good about being like, no, you know, theatrical first. It's really only Netflix that even Netflix goes, Oh, we'll, we'll try to give you a theatrical release, but they're all been fairly filmmaker friendly maybe disney being the least out of them but searchlight is their arm where they kind of let people do whatever the hell they want but it right. usually is a one for you one for me kind of thing and netflix is also struggling and this kind of goes into some news we can we can talk about as well netflix is struggling with sort of not the 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 director friendly approach but with finding franchises to continue like you know they're they're, they're trying to compete with the Marvels and the Star Wars. And so, you know, with them buying the rights to the Knives Out sequels with Ryan yeah. Johnson, that's them basically saying, you know, we, we still want to be in this game of competing against um, these these major players, but we don't have, you know, they, 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 they tried a little bit with the old guard, obviously, last year, and I think they're going to continue with that. But, like, they haven't had a lot of success when it comes to their, their franchises. film franchises, their yeah. series they, they have, obviously. But, you know, they're, they're looking for that that thing that will... And they almost need that to, to survive, really, when yeah. it comes to... We're in a... Like, that's the state of you know, movies right now is like, you need these franchises to kind of keep people coming back and interested and, and Netflix will, I mean, Netflix is, is iconic and, and, and I don't think they're going to go anywhere for at least, you know, 10 years, but yeah. And I don't think they'll go anywhere. If anything, I think they'll just merge with someone much like, I mean, another merger we haven't even talked about is Warner brothers. There's another huge thing that's happening with uh, AT&T is bowing. They just bought Warner Brothers, what feels like not that long ago. And now they're already like, ah, we don't need a theatrical kind of like, we don't need this entertainment thing. Like it hasn't really worked. We're going to sell now to Discovery. So Discovery and Warner Brothers are merging. So Warner's second sale in what feels like under, I forget when the Warner AT&T deal was, but that was such a huge deal. Um so that's another huge part of it because we haven't even talked about hbo and and warner brothers um being part of this and i guess now with discovery which uh is like uh, you know huge when it comes to reality television and nature stuff obviously and and hgtv and all those kind of discovery has a ton of stuff as well so now that merging with hbo and warner brothers and creating this you know, a, a big merger between those two things. Like you'll probably see Discovery Plus get merged into HBO Max, just like uh, Disney Plus has the, you know, National Geographic channel and stuff like that. So that's huge as well. Yeah, and 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 I guarantee probably more people watch a lot of the stuff that's on Discovery or HGTV than even what's on, you know, HBO Max, uh, you know, available right now. So, yeah. you know, like that's a smart um, deal and one that, yeah, great point bringing that up because it feels like it has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Um, just also considering with, you know, what's going on right now with, with Amazon trying to buy MGM. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like I don't know when did the AT&T, oh, in June 2018, uh, Warner Brothers parent company Time Warner was acquired by U.S. telecom uh, company AT&T. 
and renamed Warner Media. Uh, so that was not even three years ago. <laughs> yeah. And then they're already now. Uh, so on May 16, 2021, it was reported that AT&T was in talks with Discovery Inc., which is which owned and operated Discovery Plus, for it to merge with Warner Media, the parent company of Warner Brothers, forming a publicly traded company that would be divided between its shareholders. The proposed spinoff and merger was officially announced the next day, which is structured as a reverse Morris Trust. This complicated business shit. AT&T shareholders will receive a 71% stake in the merged company, which is expected to be led by Discovery's current CEO, David. So it's going to be a publicly traded company. It's still AT&T shareholders own 71% of it, but it's a separate spinoff now. So they're not technically selling it, but it's kind of like... They're loading it. They're like basically saying it's its own thing now. It's not part of AT&T. And it's going to... With Discovery Inc. And Discovery itself is worth, you know, a shit ton and has, you know tons and tons of divisions so they have discovery channel food network hgtv tlc animal planet travel channel uh oprah winfrey network uh science channel discovery family motor trend uh american heroes channel i don't even know what half this shit is well motor Um, trend is huge matt i i can't believe brands and assets they got yeah we already mentioned animal planet um a lot of racing and sports and, and and different things like that so um another pretty huge kind of merger thing right so yeah um i i always said hbo and and warner brothers would be in that realm but who's going to survive eric who is going to survive we already talked about this recently but yeah well i i i honestly think that your theory is right uh at this point that netflix will not survive (laughs) i just don't think that they can sustain themselves the way that these other studios can because of the other revenue streams and how they they make their money where and it seems like they all sort of cut you off but like and i'll I'll let you keep going but like it just seems like everyone was saw what netflix did and went we can't let these new guys come in here and and do this better than we've been doing for a hundred years and like almost they're like well let's all just start buying up other ones are merging together and making these super entertainment companies that can take down the Goliath that Netflix became. And it almost seems like they're going to accomplish that. And that's just me. Like I might be one of the only few people, me and you going like, I think Netflix in the next 10 years could be maybe not in trouble, but like something like this Warner thing where they're like merge with someone. Yeah. I I agree with that because again, like Netflix Netflix's heyday is over in the sense that when it didn't really have any competition and it was the first through the door, yeah, it had problems with the studio system and awards campaigning and things like that taking them seriously. But that revenue stream was so wide. Like they, you know, like they they had everything to themselves for the most part. You know, like it was, it was, it was all theirs. The it was it was theirs for the taking. Now with, you know, the, with Disney plus launching and Amazon, you know, prime and, and, and all these smaller, even niche streamers, it becomes the, the streaming war that everybody is kind of hyperbolized in that way where, you know, people are like cable are, are having to make choices with like almost package deals where it's like, okay, you know, what do I want? What do I don't want? Especially during the pandemic where, you know, a lot of people are watching streamer uh series or platforms but now that the pandemic is ending 
some people are probably going to unsubscribe or, or cancel their subscriptions. And it'll be fascinating to see within the next calendar year, maybe the beginning of 2022, what happens with Netflix's stock. Because I have a feeling that like, you know, if, if you look at a household and they're like, okay, well, we're not watching this as much as we did during the pandemic, you know, and more people might not have been watching it during the pandemic because they might have, you know, unfortunately lost their jobs and money's tight. And that's totally understandable. But for the people that, that have been and have been watched, have been buying more in terms of streamers, you know, like they're going to have to, maybe they're going to make decisions on their, it's like, well, why spend all this money on these four things that we're not watching anymore? Let's just keep Disney plus for the kids or something like that, or let's keep Netflix. So like that will be fascinating as well, because I feel like right now they, a lot of these streamers have had that success, but there's going to be the dip once, you know, the new normal comes up again, you know, or like post pandemic, what that'll look like even. Yeah. Cause we saw the rise of a lot of these things during the pandemic, right. To your point. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, it'll be, I mean, I pay for way too many of them right now, but, um, and we have it, you know, weirdly we shit on crave a lot, but crave has showtime HBO, you know, the movie network formally here in, in, in Canada and like all these things merged into one almost super platform, right? Like it's right. almost like what we talked about in the U S of trying to have everything consolidated to one thing. And, and Crave does have multiple brands on one thing, much like Disney has their own brands, but Crave licensed all these different brands from the U S. So it's kind of merged onto one thing. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating, man. And, and obviously Netflix is still doing so well. Like they have such a head start on everyone that it's going to be hard to catch up to them, but you're starting to see everyone do that. And unless they can do something different or if they can, you know, merge with someone or scoop someone up and, um, and whether Netflix is the brand or Netflix is the platform for whatever this other company is like, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's going to be fascinating, but it is the future. So um, it, obviously we're seeing that more than ever with, you know, everything going on right now and and the state of the industry. So um, it's always going to be in the news no matter what, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, this has been corporate corner with uh, Matt Rohrbeck and Eric Marchand, but it's Number something one, that I think you need to kind of take in mind when obviously it doesn't affect the art so to speak, or, 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 hopefully you know, the, the movies yeah. in, in the sense of the content, but in terms of what gets made, how it gets made, where it's, it's played, where it's being made, where it's playing, those things are also important to play. And that's the kind of business end of it all. But it's good to know some of that stuff as well, because as much as you can reap the rewards of, you know, uh, a Knives Out sequel starring Dave Bautista, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, uh, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, uh, and uh, Kate Hudson and Leslie Odom Jr. There's a music uh, reunion there. Ooh, ooh. Uh, you know, you have to understand like, okay, why is this being made? And why is this being made with, with Netflix instead of, you know, Lionsgate, which was the original uh, studio release of, of the first film? Well, it's because Netflix is now trying to find a brand series and the whodunit kind of movie is very popular and wide reaching in terms of its universal uh quality and, and and people wanting to see that so like that's partly why you know they spent over a hundred million dollars 
you know, securing those rights to two films that are going to probably shoot back to back or near around that time. And one's shooting in Greece quite soon. And that's why you're hearing all this casting news. So I think you're going to get more and more of that. They're going to invest in big, like, I mean, that's why they pay overpaid probably for knives out. I mean, good for Ryan Johnson and, and, and Ram Bergman and, and, and them, they're each getting, it seems like a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred million dollars. Sorry. Good for them. We did <laughs> We're um, successful entrepreneurs. And Daniel Craig as well. So, I mean, he got um, 200,000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, just like we planned the last night in Soho trailer did premiere while we're talking. So that's good. <laughs> Excellent. Um, we can, uh, we'll do probably pretty much like a live reaction to that as well as the trailer for Eternals and different things. Any other news you wanted to cover before we move on or well, we mentioned get- the knives out thing just yeah. now, which I think like even that's kind of exciting where it's all, but it almost has become like a joke where it's like every week it's like, who's going to be joining knives oh, out for like, know? it was like when Dune, remember the Dune casting every day, there'd be someone else who got added to Dune. Now it seems like every it slowed down a little bit. It seems like yeah, uh, we'll get a, a few more supporting probably announcements uh, soon for that. But yeah, or um, or who knows? Maybe we'll get more, and it'll be like the, him casting both movies at the same time, where it's just like okay, these these actors will be in this one, and then these actors will be in the third one, right? Like it's yeah. it's almost like they're doing like the Matrix Reloaded and uh, Revelations, where it's like you know they basically shoot those films back to back, but just not mm-hmm. in Australia. Yeah. Um, and less leather, obviously. Yeah. Do you want to get into what we've been watching first or go into trailers and then end? I think with... we should go into trailers because okay. uh, partly um, one of the trailers that, I mean, before we watched uh, Last Night in Soho, I think one of the trailers that I have watched at least three or four times is David Lowry's The Green Knight. Yeah. Um, Talk about it. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Yeah. So Dev Patel in the lead role in this fantasy epic that kind of has this sort of hard edge 80s style reminds me a little bit of like Excalibur John Borman's uh 1981 movie um where you have a character you know you're taking a a classic storyline of you know courage and the idea that this character is you know seeking out essentially what could be his demise after receiving this axe for a year and sort of having to pay back the price of ownership and sort of looking at what a hero is and, and sort of that journey from the trailer uh, looks fascinating. And it has, you know, David Lowry, who we've talked about it on the show before, you know, is a guy that goes from, you know, studio movies, but still interjects his style with Pete's dragon to, you know, uh, a ghost story, which is very small, minimalistic but also personal in its in its scope um this seems to be kind of a nice marriage of the two where you're getting more in terms of scale and size but you're still getting something that's also very weird uh you have uh ralph innocent who plays basically the the titular uh wooden green knight the 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 monster who uh, sort of comes into play and then Kate Dickey's also in it as well um, so that's kind of exciting you have Joel Edgerton, Elisa Vikander um, very stylized and kind of looks like a fun like fantasy movie that won't be kind of 
boring. No, um, yeah, if you want the great. boring version of this, you watch the Sean Connery movie from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all in on this. I cannot wait. It's uh, I hope when's it coming out? July. It's July. So yeah. in Ontario, that yeah. means. 2022 yeah god god damn it um but yeah i've watched it a few times as well and it's just oozing with style and i mean i love david lowry and 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 i absolutely cannot wait for this to see like a you know uh this it seems epic on on a scale that i i wasn't expecting from like an a24 movie but still has that kind of indie um kind of vibe to it and you i know how I much they spent I, on this one a hundred thousand dollars wow wow huge money huge money um yeah I, I i think it looks fantastic and i i just um uh, i cannot wait for the green knight it's it, definitely one of my most anticipated um for the rest of the year and um yeah just seeing a24 get into something like this is just like knowing how weird uh, and out there a lot of their stuff is and then um uh, getting that on a, a fantasy film and usually this kind of shit you know isn't my kind of thing but like swords and and knights and and swords and, and sorcerers and yeah and medieval stuff like that but stuff, this just yeah. has such a cool vibe to it and i mean i again i keep saying i trust david lowry to make something interesting and 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 strange and violent and and and, and weird and i I'm, I'm super pumped for it yeah, I'm excited to see how he'll turn this kind of original sort of Arthurian tale into something that's his style. Because it's it's a very, I mean, like, it is a very old, you know, tale that's been told time and time again. And I know a lot of people that kind of feel a little bit disappointed by where the story ultimately goes. Okay. Um, but um it kind of feels like a little bit of a, a wet noodle when it comes to interesting. I don't know much about it. So yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how people sort of perceive that story. Um, but it's, it's definitely one I'm excited to see done by David Lowry. Cool. Uh, we also got our first uh, full teaser trailer for Marvel studios, the Eternals. So Chloe Zhao's um, follow up to uh, her best picture win for Nomad Land and best director win. Um, so we got our first teaser, um, uh, and it it looks cool, man. Like I, I'm I'm all in on this. Like I know a lot of people are saying, oh, this looks nothing like a Marvel movie, which some people are are going that's a great thing that it looks nothing like a marvel movie i know some people being like this trailer didn't work for them or it looks just like any other marvel movie which also just is completely contradicting the last thing i said uh and then you know the people who just hate on marvel stuff in general so um, or the people that are like oh well it's just copying terrence malick and you know sure. like that kind of but i mean I, I i i don't know i think she could she still makes even though she might be inspired by Terrence Malick, like I feel like she. Oh, totally. And, but and but there's a lot of filmmakers that are inspired by Terrence Malick. I mean, mm -hmm. look again at like someone like Zack Snyder, who talks about, you know, first cow being an influence yeah. on Justice you know the aspect League. ratio for Justice League. Like mm -hmm. it's it's, I think it's more than fine to have a filmmaker take an influence from another filmmaker that they admire, mm -hmm. and apply that to something that you wouldn't necessarily think would work you know and that's kind of what makes this movie really exciting is to see the magic hour cinematography being put to use actual in, location um, in actual and location stuff. and not just all blue and green green screen and in all post-production like it's kind of a little bit more kind of earthy in its its approach and i think that kind of works for the characters you're 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 bridging that gap between you know 
sci-fi and sort of you know the classic sort of tropes superhero superheroes but of the gods too and that's kind of what it's playing on you know like yeah you brought up prometheus being like yeah you brought up ridley scott's prometheus being um something to compare this to and and yeah i see that as well and i i think that's going to be really cool for the people who are big mcu fans of like seeing you know i don't know much about the eternals at all i don't really know it. i've much like guardians of the galaxy like we aren't making fun of them like we were when they announced guardians no there's of the no galaxy, talking raccoon like, or tree yeah i just remember us going what who the hell cares about the guardians of the galaxy and now everyone knows who rocket raccoon is and everyone's fine with a raccoon talking to a god in in a in a movie and being totally fine with it um and now in this uh, of the history of the MCU, I think will be really interesting, right? Like this will go to the dawn of, I mean, the MCU is much bigger than earth, but our frame of context for a lot of it is what happens on earth. Yes. It's more, you know, galactic than, than that and, and, and interstellar than that. But um, for this, it's interesting, these beings coming to earth and we're seeing the creation of man essentially and man and woman but creation of humankind um it's prometheus and, as well yeah Space exactly. jockeys, right creating yeah. you know terraforming influencing you know how we have grown as a society not necessarily interfering but helping us advance as a human species right and i or think course that's correct right yeah. like it's the idea of like subtle influences but never it, it, you know it's it's like in highlander you have um those that that watch or document the 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 immortals but um you know never interfere mm-hmm. uh, and that's what's that. going to be really cool to see because it is obviously going to sp- span thousands of years um and will we see elements of events that have happened in the MCU but from their perspective of why they didn't interfere and things like that i mean there's the brief mention of of tony stark and and captain america uh, and or Steve they Rogers. call him captain rogers uh, yeah captain rogers and iron man they mention at the end so we know some of this takes place post end game but i really do feel like uh, a lot of it will show you know over the history of of the Eternals and we know that the deviants will be involved in the Celestials and we know Thanos is a deviant, which is an offshoot of uh, the Eternals, like the evil Eternals or deviants essentially. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. I love the look of it. Like, obviously we mentioned, you said the magic hour cinematography and like, and Chloe Zhao, shooting on location there's that funny quote from kevin feige where he's just like yeah we were all amazed at how great this looked look if you shoot if you shoot on actual locations there's no special effects it's like yeah if you find great locations you don't have to shoot everything on a a blue screen or a green screen but watch them Um, do a sequel without her and like it being all shot in blue and green screen because they don't want to take that risk with somebody that you know maybe hasn't proven themselves so i could almost see like if, if chloe Zhao doesn't return to this which she very well might not because she wants to do other things and being kind of tied down to a franchise might not be her thing but maybe it is i don't know but if she isn't it would be fascinating to see like if a sequel to this just looks like any other marvel movie because obviously yeah. this does not look like any other marvel no. movie uh to date yeah. and also to your point of like going back at, and, and and sort of retconning certain scenes but from the point of view of you know these characters it also opens up avenues of introducing new characters and other storylines and threads that can be explored in other series like i'm sure there will be easter eggs to things like 
you know, Moon Knight and stuff like that. Like it feels like, or or even like with the the new Thor movie coming out next year, it feels like that's going to tie in somewhat to Eternals because Thor being a god and the, the idea that you know Russell Crowe talking about that he's playing Zeus and and Christian Bale is playing uh, what's what's his character's name? The Gore god- the God Butcher. Yeah, and so like that introduction will be interesting as well. So now you're getting the supernatural fantasy stuff really coming into play within the MCU with both Dr. Strange and Eternals and even with, you know, Thor love and thunder. So, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Marvel version of Hercules comes up very soon in one of these, or, or like what, like what's left to explore that, that that Marvel hasn't kind of like touched basis on that. Like it's something that's like, Oh, I don't know how this would fit or is there anything that's left? Yeah. This is the one where I'm like, I don't know. Well, Namor will, Come, Namor is rumored to be in Black Panther, right? But um, or the villain in that. Um, but then he's kind of like a villain and hero. I think I don't know much about Namor other than he's Marvel Aquaman. I like, read that he's kind of like the guy that, yeah, like you said, Marvel Aquaman. But like he's the guy that doesn't want to be involved at all because he hates how humanity has treated and polluted the oceans over right, okay, the century yeah. so that's and atlantis why he's never still gotten exists involved. in here i or, think yeah, I so or, or at least a version or, of it. like yeah i don't know whatever there's probably like a, it's we'll, namor like yeah i don't i don't know but anyways i don't know how this is going to other than maybe showing the history of you know what we know of the mcu like i think that's what this movie will really cover like i don't know if it will have a huge impact on the rest of the Marvel movies, but I, who knows, or it could have a huge impact on them. I have no idea. So, um, will we get baby Thanos in this? I don't know. Um, will Puck will they, show up? Like Kurt Russell's character was a celestial, right? So like that yeah, ego, like ego. So, um, that could be involved here in, in, in some way. Uh, I don't know, man, but what I, about I really, Annette Benning's character is, is, isn't she like, she's an AI she's... though, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. She was like, a an AI ruler of that, of Cree or whatever. Right. But I mean, the MCU might get more cosmic, right? Like that's the thing. And, and Eternals might be the first, uh, big expansion of that. Cause guardians and captain Marvel obviously had some of that, but it's still been, you know, uh, there's so much out there that they haven't explored um, that we could see maybe more of that. It'll be, I think the earth stuff might be multiverse stuff. And then guardians, Thor eternals, uh, captain Marvel to an extent will be uh, more cosmic stuff, but with, they'll be the guard, they'll be the Avengers of like of, of space of space yeah. and time right yeah so it'll be interesting I, I don't know but they do reference the avengers so you know it's it, it, it some of it's going to be post endgame and and probably touch on why they didn't help in infinity war and endgame right like uh that has to be a there has to be a reason because you have to retcon that shit if they've been around all this time and they're like these super beings that right um, and like they seem like they don't interfere unless they want to in- interfere. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing, right? So, well, it's I, like I that 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 idea or, or that theory of you know if time travel exists and if there were time travelers that were actually you know coming back to like say now or or why would you come back to now? Like, don't come back to now. But like, if there were if there was such thing as a time traveler, like, why would they want to interfere? Or it's the same thing with aliens, like. Some people, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe that we've ever actually had a, any alien contact. What do you think all this UFO stuff recently is then? 
Just, I don't know. Like, I, are they drones? Because I think we're obviously not alone in the universe. No, that's what I mean. Um, like, I, 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 I don't. Feel I don't think anyone has the, come the, here, but maybe no. they're drones just scouting or whatever. That's what I mean. But, but if if intelligent life elsewhere were to see our world, they'd probably just be like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> exactly, and that's what I like. Even something like that, and that's could be the kind of the argument for the Eternals where the Eternals are like, like you're on your own. We'll help yeah. you a little bit. But well, like... yeah, but like, look at what you do to yourselves. <laughs> yeah. That could be it. It could be like, they were helping them, but as they helped them, they started wars and, and started just fighting with one another. And eventually they were like, well, we did, we tried to help you motherfuckers and you just all ruined it. So like, maybe that's the, the route that they go, but hey, you guys, we um, made hot guy like gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm excited for Eternals. I, I think I'm, I'm really excited because I don't know much about them. So like most Marvel movies, you kind of, you know, you know, the characters, you know, they're not going to kill off X, Y, Z because you know, they're iconic. And, and I'm, I'm curious to see who comes out of this as, the standouts we know Gemma chan is um the lead in the movie and her um, second time in the mcu yeah. but playing a different character as yeah. she's one of the villains in captain marvel and then we also have a game of thrones reunion with richard madden and yeah. uh, the stark kit brothers <laughs> uh yeah the stark brothers are back but not playing brothers and and kit harrington's character is supposed to be kind of he's like, a human he's like a knight like a human. right but isn't that character supposed to kind of like go into other storylines he probably or... will because he's the one human character so maybe he'll be the uh, i don't know but like I, I could see some of the characters from this um branching out into other things but there's so well, many it's almost characters like a survey too. right like this yeah. like this movie is in like suicide squad and guardians it's almost like there this is the first film of of you know this iteration of this, you know, IP and it's almost tossing all these characters out there. And it's almost like, okay, like, let's see what the audience likes. And then, you know, for a sequel or where, wherever these characters end up next, these are the ones we'll, you know, put more emphasis on. Like, I don't see like all of these people coming back for, like, I don't see Angelina Jolie, even if she's popular in, in, in the film, like, I don't see her taking on, like a, a, seven a, movies seven movies and like being a, a major presence throughout the entire run where someone like kit harrington does it kind of make sense yeah to, yeah like so it'll be interesting to see uh, i i'm really looking forward to the eternals i think this looks cool i like the vibe of it that it feels different from the other marvel stuff and that's the i mean eric and i have been talking about that since phase three right of going finally they're letting their filmmakers come in and do their version of a marvel movie and and i think as they get more and more comfortable and more and more successful and we're seeing that with the disney plus shows and the movies they're having a little bit more freedom or creativity to kind of go off the beaten path of going all right we know what a marvel movie is now they don't all have to be the same let's try to branch out and do different genres or maybe different styles or things like that. Like, and, and usually you're still in that Marvel mold. You still have to play with the, you know, the puzzle. yeah. And stuff like that. But you are able to kind of put your own stamp on it, which we're seeing more and more of lately, which I appreciate. Cause I feel like obviously it hasn't gotten stale yet, but you risk that if you don't take risks. So uh, like, and I feel like, having Chloe Zhao make a movie like this, at least it seems like it's going to be tough to market it in a traditional Marvel way, but I hope people are open to this movie. And if it feels different or quieter or, you know, 
more poetic or who knows, or maybe it'll still be a traditional Marvel action flick. We just haven't seen that stuff from it yet. Yeah. And I, and I think also um, into the spider verse also deserves a lot of credit yeah. for this and specifically with the multiverse thing, because I feel like that was the kind of push for Marvel to begin this maybe sooner than they, maybe what they were originally planning or, you know, like it just, it feels like spider verse is kind of like, even though it's not connected to the MCU was, is, is a big factor in, in where they're going with their storylines because of, of the popularity of that film and also just how creative and inventive it was. So I think that they owe a debt to, you know, Phil Lord, Chris Miller and all the directors and, and animators on that movie, you know, and, and sort of keeping the interest very, not that it was weighing in any way, but keeping it going. So. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, one other trailer I want to talk about before we get into last night in Soho, where we'll kind of like watch it um, and hope, I, hopefully not just silence for three minutes but we'll watch it and 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 do it uh the trailer for dear evan hansen uh oh, dropped God. as well <laughs> don't need to spend too much time on this but obviously it's a blow my fellow uh, kids yeah uh how do you do fellow kids um obviously a beloved musical uh uh ben platt um playing a hansen brother uh, yeah uh played the the titular evan hansen role on broadway and now uh because his dad is producing this um is also in this uh as a 27 year old man playing a 16 year old um I couldn't tell. I think he disappears. <laughs> God. So if you missed this on social, I'm sure you didn't. Uh, people made fun of this for a few days in a row. Um, and it's hard. Uh, not I think I have nothing wrong with the mute. My sister has told me the music is phenomenal in the show. Um, I'm sure he was great on Broadway five years ago when he was 22. Um, and it's not like I think Ben Platt when he it's this weird wig they gave him too or something with the curly mullet or whatever they have him in um, where he just he he obviously just he does not look 16 and it's almost comical. And you've seen people. It looks like a bad it. SNL skit where yeah. the cast is like, you know, advertently dressing up to be teenagers, but they clearly look like they're of their age yeah and i think that's its biggest problem right and and whether you want to talk about the actual plot of you know a kid uh who doesn't have very many friends or doesn't have any friends really um uh, he writes a letter to himself and then a, another kid named connor who also doesn't have friends comes over and signs his cast and says something and then takes this letter from him that kid ends up committing suicide and then the parents think that uh, he wrote this letter to Evan Hansen and and I don't know the whole story, but I guess he kind of capitalizes on that and the popularity of people finding out about that and then has some sort of journey. But like um, the, the trailer I didn't I, I thought was bad. Um, obviously, it just seemed like, a, you know, a, a corny um, kind of movie musical. And sometimes like we talked about this when Hamilton came out, where I would almost much prefer just a stylized recording of a Broadway show that I can watch that's really well done rather than adapting it into an actual movie musical. And, um, and then the biggest crime is, uh, is Ben Platt looks like he's a hundred years old. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, this is something that, that, that has come up time and time again when it comes to casting, um, you know, 30 to 40 year olds. I mean, obviously the, the, the obvious example is Greece, Greece yeah. and and like even like you know a lot of nineties, um, 
you know, TV shows like 90210. They're all and like 30 Luke, something. Luke yeah. Perry. Yeah. The, the way that you get around that is you cast like the teachers even older. <laughs> so yeah. they kind of like they they look a little bit younger. Um, and I'll talk about it um, when we get into the what we watched, something that works, which, you know, there, there was a time where I think people casting agents were very much aware of that. But yeah, I think that is honestly a, a, a fair criticism to have watching that trailer. And I think part of it is just like, the wig the wig work is so distracting you're looking at this guy it's like he almost looks younger when he has his normal short hair yeah and there's just something weird about you know a 27 year old playing this character and and i've heard like you're you're mentioning sarah really loves the musical and and the music specifically but i've also heard that some people find you know the material to be somewhat problematic problematic with you know dealing with suicide or how it's portrayed and you know this has also come up with like you know 13 reasons why when that first came out on netflix and things like that and there's another movie um that a lot of people on twitter were referencing when this trailer came out that's quote unquote the better or darker version of this called world's greatest dad the bobcat oh yeah, Goldwaith yeah. movie with uh, yeah. uh robin williams which is about uh, a, a dad who finds his son um dead in a closet and whether or not it's suicide he kind of projects this sort of or kind of creates this idea that you know it's it's all about him yeah. you know it's not about his son and what his son did and whether or not he's covering up it, it, if it's a suicide at all i don't want to ruin anything you know too specific for for people that want to watch that movie but it is a very dark yeah. uh really well-made film and i actually kind of want to rewatch that movie maybe before uh dear evan hansen yeah i haven't even. seen it in a while and it's it's tough now with what happened with robin williams as well yeah like yeah, but it is a, it is a good movie it is a very dark film and it goes to places that a lot of other movies would dare not to uh, tread with that material where this it's like the whole time I'm thinking like we didn't get, a, we, we don't see a lot of musical numbers. We see like a kind of almost like a show and tell esque stage scene where he's singing on the behalf of his, his friend who is dead, but I wonder who how wasn't the, his friend, just friend at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I wonder how that's going to play out. And then like, the other kind of joke thing that kind of like, I guess has a little bit of bad residuals on this is that you have Julianne Moore and Amy Adams in another movie so soon after the woman in the window. And you're just like, what a waste of these two great actors who, you know, like in in any film you would probably kill to have these two, you know, do a scene or two together. And it's like sight unseen for this movie. Cause it still could be good. We don't know. We're just judging this on the trailer, but like with woman in the window, it's like, what a missed opportunity that was yeah 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 it looks horrible <laughs> to be fair um so yeah uh okay uh last night in soho the trailer just dropped as we were uh recording eric i don't know if you can pull it up in another window or let another me tab, uh, copy and paste this uh, bad boy into another tab or something like that and then maybe we can both hit play at the same you like time tab? uh i've never had tab have you i don't think i have either is this like kind of like Dr. Pepper or no, that's Mr. Pib, right? Um, I've had Royal uh, RC Cola, oh, RC Cola, which is not yeah. good. No, it tastes like shit. It tastes like PC Cola. Remember PC Cola? Oh, yeah. Like President's Choice Cola. I, Matt, I going, always talk about yeah, I, PC Cola being horrible. I remember um, going to my aunt's house. No offense to my aunt, but they always because my dad is such a Coke drinker. Like he my dad to this day has, you know, 
multiple glasses of Coke every day or cans of Coke every day. And he's, he's a healthy man. Not hopefully, I don't know exactly, but, um, he loves his can of Coca-Cola or his two liter bottle of Coca-Cola. And, um, so I'd go to my aunt's house and I was known as the Coca-Cola kid. I inherited that from my dad. I would go to school and I'd always have a bottle of Coke or whatever. Um, and my aunt had PC Cola. God, that stuff sucked. That stuff was awful. It was so bad. And okay, P- hold on just a second here. I'm just looking this up now because the link's not working, but that's it's not going your fault. You. It's on Focus Features YouTube, yeah. Okay, Focus Features YouTube. All right. Um, and then uh, PC Ginger Ale, not that bad. But yeah, PC Ginger Ale is fine. Um, people who get, aren't Canadian are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> again, like I, I always find it funny. It's like, you know you're in a bad situation when you're picking uh, a grape crush. <laughs> oh God, remember you got a grape crush when we were on the bus home from New York and I pretty much had the worst sickness I've ever had in my life. Or was that on the way there when we were fine? Uh, I, I think it was on the way back. Good Lord. Either yeah. way, you know that's that's when shit's hitting the fan. Eric comes into the bus with a grape crush and I was like, what? Is that when we got their McNuggets or is that was on the way there? That was, was on the way good? there, but it was close to it because I think it was when we stopped in Buffalo, like that yeah. first kind of like um, yeah, bus stop. God, never taking the bus to New York ever again. Okay, so I have um, it up. So are we okay. going to leave the volume on? Of the podcast? Well, or of the- they're not going to be able to hear the trailer unless i put it in and make a note of when we start it oh you don't have to bother that's not this po- we're not that we're not that, nah, we're not that. <laughs> yeah so they can't hear us listening they won't, to it they'll be able to hear our reactions right. if we talk during it or whatever which we might not so i apologize everyone for two minutes and 20 seconds we might say something but we might just be watching <laughs> so it might be dead air i'll try yeah. to react but eric and i will click play at the same time and we'll watch this trailer we won't be able to hear each other's but we hope we're on the same page and then we'll uh react to it right after so eric are you hovering over the play button yes i have okay. my uh full screen i'm ready okay. to go so let's do um i guess i'll full screen it too will it fuck this up i, I don't need to full screen it um three two one play all right we're watching the trailer everyone so focus features thomas and mckenzie oh, okay downtown I like Thomas and McKenzie a lot. And she's good. I w- okay. You know, I love a good time travel. Oh, Thunderball. Nice. I love the look of this. It looks awesome. Yeah, this is dope. Okay, okay. Sorry, everyone. We're just going to be silent while we watch this. (laughs) Oh, that's her singing. Huh. It has a bit of a vertigo edge to it. Yeah.
just shout out to Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, this looks fucking awesome. <laughs> A lot of Jallo imagery as well. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh yeah, I'm all in. Yes, I love the freeze frame. Hell yeah, I'm all in on that. Woo! Eric, initial thoughts? The Ric Flair sign of approval? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm always excited for an Edgar Wright movie, and this is his first kind of full feature-length foray into horror, not including Don't, which is great but yeah you know like fun. i mean that's uh you know a comedy really fun comedic yeah. bit for the grindhouse uh double bill but yeah I, I, like you can tell that the influence is there with you know dario argento and and mario bava and sort of like you know the the neon light being you know vibrant primary colors of you know red blue and 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 yellow and um you know this is also uh Diana Riggs last movie as well. And just thinking about that, that shot of Thunderball, not that she was yeah. in Thunderball, but she was in um, on her Majesty's secret service. And in my opinion, she's one of the best bond women in, in the, in that, in the series franchise. Um, and yeah, like I, as much as I love like Shaun of the dead has horror elements when it commits to those horror elements but, but it's it a comedy be, yeah where this looks like okay you're, you're getting a little bit of that hitchcock flavor you're getting you know the giallo italian kind of mix in there as well um a lot of interesting moving camera techniques from the same cinematographer who is usually um is is park chan wook's <clears throat> usual cinematographer who did old boy and you know handmaiden um and things like that and also uh the it movies or the first it film um you can definitely tell that the way that the camera kind of floats around and glides around it has similar like you feel like you're walking around dairy but now you're walking around you know east central london yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that and um yeah and the cast is is great anya taylor joy is 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 obviously very much on the rise uh thomas and mckenzie who you know broke out with leave no trace and continues to really do some really wonderful character work and has a big year as well with you know being an m night Shyamalan's old um so th yeah this is very much a, a movie that i'm excited for and you know we get we get like Zack Snyder. We get two Edgar Wright movies in in one year. Oh yeah, you know? we do. I forgot. Yeah, technically that is uh, actually true. Um, yeah, I'm all in on this. I love the look. Um, love me a good time travel story. Um, uh, I hate to use elevated horror, Eric, but you're um, doing it. Aren't you? <laughs> no, no. Um, I just I don't know. I, an Edgar Wright horror movie sounds rad, and this just kind of proves that. And um, injecting his kinetic style and then having all those influences that you mentioned kind of on top of that. And he's obviously a huge cinephile and, and, and a huge fan of a lot of the, all of the people you, you referenced and, and just taking those horror influences and mixing it with his kinetic energetic kind of style. And then with two great actresses like Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor joy, and then all the supporting cast that you see there. And you mentioned the cinematographer and just like, it has all the pieces to be a really fun 
like uh, a horror flick and and i'm all in on that so you got neon lighting you got uh, you got God, chancellor I'm, valorum yeah. aka yeah. taron stamp <laughs> yeah who, who yeah who could forget um i'm all in man that looks great i'm really yeah really i i'm it. excited for for that film and uh you know it's it it's been a movie that's been obviously delayed a couple of times because of the pandemic, but you and know, because of Edgar Wright wanting it to be in theaters too, right? Yeah. And you know, some things are worth the wait and, and this definitely looks like one of them. So I'm always like, he's one of those guys that like everything he does, um, I'm always really excited for. And, and yeah, you know, no like, matter how is... you feel about whatever he did last, you're always kind of excited for the next thing. Yeah. I mean, I've been mostly on the positive side yeah. on all of his movies, but like, uh, to be honest like he, he's one of those event filmmakers and it's just nice to also like see like one of these guys like tarantino as as much as like i'm i'm hard on kevin smith it's like you look at tarantino you look at edgar wright and it's like when those two guys who are film lovers as much as they are filmmakers get these opportunities to make something within the studio system and it just feels like a win all for everybody, you know, like I that's the thing agree, that I love yeah. about that kind of stuff. Like where like Kevin Smith is like, like you can tell Kevin Smith loves and breathes comic books and movies and things like that, but his talent isn't as on par with those other guys. And like, you know, like him kind of wasting away from the main studio system kind of shows that. And it just, it's, it's a shame because like when he started his career, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, that's cool that somebody, who kind of reminds you of a, your your best friend who also loves movies is getting this amazing opportunity and showing their amazing talent on screen. And that's kind of what you feel with Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino um, specifically, you know, like it's these guys that you champion because they love movies as much as they do making them. And it's, yeah, that's the it really shows. Thing. Yeah, it, it absolutely shows. Now, does this show up at TIFF, Eric? probably i mean yeah, i I, think I, it, I wouldn't i think I, it kind of unless will. edgar wants to hold it like specifically for venice or london like when's when's the the london film festival or the british film festival that's bfi bfi that's a little bit after i think it's a little it? bit after right bfi festival um October 6th to the 17th. So that is right before the release of this. So it so will absolutely s- play BFI, but will yeah, it, play it would be a big the... splashy premiere, but it, yeah, but it'll pro I, I could see it. Does it do midnight madness? Does it, uh, um... it almost feels again, a little too elevated for midnight madness. I know, but like I could see Edgar Wright is still one of those guys that I think would be welcomed with open arms. Even if oh, he totally, high... and like it, like I think Peter, uh, there, Peter would obviously would off, have him. offer yeah. it right, but but I could also see Edgar Wright being like, would it be a gala special presentation if it played? Uh, yeah, like this but... is this is my like this is my prestigious horror movie. I gotta I gotta have this play you know, in the special presentations or like the gala, not because I don't love midnight madness, but I want everybody else to take me seriously. And I think you know? Anya Taylor joy is becoming such a, uh, obviously she was on SNL this past weekend and with Queens gambit this year. And she keeps getting bigger and bigger that um, I think it would be, uh, you know, they, a red carpet premiere on a special presentations uh, does make sense to me, but it all depends on what TIFF is going to be this year too. Right. So like, yeah. And, um, and we won't even really know that probably until like August, like in terms of like what the, the sort of digital and sort of in-person components of, you know, like whether yeah. it'll be 50, 50 or something else. Like it's, 
it's still very much up in the air. But um, and there's no pretense for Edgar Wright going to TIFF because it's not like his other stuff is really played there, right? Or, no, but I no, mean, he but... is he he basically is an honorary Canadian in some ways because of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, right? And he does love Toronto, or at least he says he loves Toronto. I mean, you know, you never know if that is just you know maybe pandering because he made a movie there, but you know, like he is familiar with Toronto and like. I've interviewed him once for the world's end at the Trump tower when that was still a thing with him and uh, Nick Frost. And he seems very much in love with sort of the Canadian sort of iconography and and history, especially in Toronto. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. All right. uh, We'll wrap up the show. We're at an hour 50. So we'll quickly go through what we've been watching. I honestly haven't been watching that that many movies other than the stuff we've been reviewing. So I've slowly been making my way through the saw movies leading into spiral, which I think we kind of talked about on the last episode uh, a little Kostas bit. Costas Mandalore is going to be um, one of your most watched yeah. actors of 2021. Oh God, that's Costas Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm on saw four now and it's taken me about a week to try to get through saw four. I've been watching it in 20 minute increments. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I stand by that. I, I do enjoy those first two movies a lot. The third movie I still enjoy. And then they kind of go off of a cliff and most people will say, yeah, they went off a cliff in the first movie. I don't care. I still enjoy them. Uh, part of it's nostalgia. Part of it is just, you know, everyone's got a schlocky horror franchise that they like. You love a good needle drop. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm enjoying my time with those first couple movies and you're now getting that we jiggy get to, with it if you will yeah now that we get to four through eight um <laughs> uh i i guess four through seven and then jigsaw uh which we saw in imax and i do i remember a single thing that happens in that movie nope no um, but i remember you trying to pro- like project online that i was a a huge song oh, fan. yeah i yeah. was so pissed at you for that <laughs> our tweet um when we saw that in imax got shared on a bunch of websites for some reason oh you it. fucker uh, it was so funny uh anyway so i'm making my way through the saw movies um cu- very curious to uh to see spiral whenever we're able to uh, but that's really from a movie standpoint, like everything else I've been watching, Cruella, Army of the Dead, Those Who Wish Me Dead, Woman in the Window, Oxygen, Wrath of Man, uh, have all been stuff we've been reviewing. So you guys can go check out all of those reviews over on Untitled Movie Reviews. Um, Cruella will be available uh, Wednesday, May 26th. Uh, you'll be able to listen to that review if you're listening to this before then. Um, other than that, everything else is available over on that channel. So, so go subscribe over there. I have been though, Eric watching a lot of television. So, uh, some embargoes broke, so I can talk about the first episode of, uh, Lisey's story, um, Stephen King adaptation, uh, that he has written himself every episode, uh, directed by, um, uh, Pablo Lorraine. Uh, uh, yeah, Pablo Lorraine, who, um, uh, Jackie, he recently did. No, um, Emma. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I really, really enjoyed the first episode. Um, I haven't gone back to it because Devis and I watched the first episode together, and she's not a huge fan of horror and just eerie kind of stuff. 
the odd time there'll be something that connects with her but she watched it and she's like this is too much for me i can't i can't do this um and i'm like all right i'll get uh, around to the other stuff um the other episodes later but um i know like uh more and more actors are in it that I haven't even seen in the show yet, but uh, it's uh, Julianne Moore and right. Julianne Moore, yeah. Julianne Moore, uh, Clive Moore, Owen uh, Clive and everybody's Owen. favorite yeah. Dahan Dane. Yo, Dane Dahan in it, man. So it's got a lot of, um, it's got some weirdness to it and some uh, like, uns- it's just got a, a hugely unsettling nature to the whole thing. And Dane Dahan's character like is borderline, like I'm like I don't know if this is like offensive this portrayal of this character or like it's so cr- creepy and like and strange that I'm laughing at it because it's just like almost over the top but like I'm kind of into it and the and the does, show has does a, he have a physical or mental disability a, like a little and that's okay, what because that's I mean, something that King has been criticized before specifically yeah. with uh, Dreamcatcher with yeah. the Donnie Wahlberg character. So, um, and I think there's yeah. a little of that in here, which, um, is just like, you know, he, he doesn't have like a physical disability, but you could argue that this character, but then sometimes when you deal with people who are, uh, you know, a lot of times I think that's just unfortunately how people who, uh, are, you know, violent or, or strange in movies kind of teeter on that line or, or portrayed that way. So it's hard to determine like you know are they just trying to portray them as as strange or does it kind of that might be more so on than king and the writing than it is the performance because if dane dehan is giving the performance that's written and how oh totally absolutely that's what he's doing so and he is very unsettling and it's almost got a twin peaksy vibe when it comes to some of the characters in twin peaks being like you know this small town and and they're just acting so strange that you're like it's unsettling but almost weirdly comical um so i was laughing a lot which and then but also laughing due to some of the unsettling imagery throughout the first episode and just um uh, and the creepiness to it so i i dug it um i don't i have no idea what to expect from the whole series um uh but i am intrigued enough to i obviously with the direction uh by pablo loren and uh i is striking and i think he is a great filmmaker so i'm interested to see him tackle a horror kind of show like this for you know eight eight episodes i think well Um, especially when you get somebody that's not like known for a certain genre like pablo loren you know has made violent and disturbing yeah movies before but you know, like, I mean, the club is, is, is a great example of that, but it's very subtle. And like when he's kind of going into more like when you get a filmmaker that's going into more pulpy terrain, it's always kind of exciting to see like how they'll adapt to it, because either they're going to surprise you or they're going to disappoint you. But I think in either way, it's still fascinating to watch, um, you know, like I, I think like with this, um, you know, I haven't read a lot of more recent Stephen King, but I used to read a lot of his stuff when when I was in high school and 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 loved it and and what have you. But the thing with King that is my main criticism with all of his stuff is he has such an amazing idea or premise that intrigues yeah. you and gets you involved in the story, gets you hooked. But, but he can never stick the landing. Like there's always something with the story that feels like, especially when you're reading his longer books, like even something like The Stand. 
it feels like he loses interest halfway through and he's just writing it to get to the end at that point. And it's like the end that he gives you is never as satisfying as the setup. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the resolve, that's why I think he's a better short story writer than he is the, uh, than sort of writing, you know, these long sort of tomes and texts that are just like, you know, five books in one. And, and, you know, I think that like his night shift collection is probably one of the best because it is sort sort of confined to short stories like quitters Inc and stuff like that. But um, yeah, like, like even with the outsiders, the HBO series, like I loved the initial sort of establishing tone and atmosphere, small town, you know, something horrible happens to somebody and where that goes. It's like, okay, you have me, you have me, you have me. I'm intrigued. I'm following this down a rabbit hole. And then when it gets to the other end, you're just kind of like, huh? Yeah. And I'm curious because he wrote every episode, right? And then yeah. like, and Lorraine uh, directed every episode, which I like. I, he doesn't just do like the the pilot and then it's like Carrie Fukunaga off. with with yeah. True Detective. Like you and, have uh, the Darius the Kanji. Voice. Darius Kanji is the cinematographer, and it, it looks really nice. And and uh, the score is great. And um, you have Julianne Moore, Clive Owen, Joan Allen, Dane DeHaan, Sung Kang, who wasn't in the first episode, but he plays a detective or an officer. He plays Han. Um, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, and it's a, essentially, um, you know, uh, a, a, an author, uh, a, a, you know, as it I, always uh, is like with the is, Stephen yeah. King protagonist. And, and I know he even character. talked about like the, it being, he got the idea based on seeing his office and what, he was like, what would it be like if I died? Like all my work being here and stuff like that. And right. so essentially it's about an author who who dies and his widow dealing with, um, you know, his unfinished work uh, that's at their home and people coming for it and wanting to publish his his stuff after his death. And then is Andre a, Brower in this? Um, not that I know of, but they don't have a ton of the cast listing on this. Okay. So he might be in it, but where I'm just thinking um, of the mist. You're uh Ron uh Ron Cephas Jones who was in um uh House Oh, is he in this is us? And he was yeah. supposed to be in Shazam. Yes, yes, absolutely that's who you're thinking of. Not okay. that that you confused him with Andre Brower, but that's who I'm talking about right now. Right. Cuz um, I was thinking on cuz there was something that Andre Brower was supposed to be in recently or was going to be in that I was like Oh, this is kind of interesting. I that mean, was like a live action show. Spirit Untamed. <laughs> oh no, I know, uh, I know he's in that. Uh, <laughs> I can't talk uh, about that though. Um, um, let's see. No, I don't see any TV stuff here that um, other than Brooklyn because what I was also thinking of as well was with Joan Allen and Jennifer Jason Lee. Both of them have been in Stephen King adaptations already with Dolores Claiborne and um, A Good Marriage. So. It is, but I I keep thinking when when you're telling me like that Stephen King anecdote where it's like, to me I think of that Family Guy joke where like Stephen King goes to his editor and like it's like oh, what are, what are you working on right now? Well, uh, and he's looking around the office and he picks up the <laughs> lamp and he's like, oh, this haunted lamp. Ah! Yeah. It's like when can I have it? Yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly. what King has become. He's so prolific, and I and I applaud him for being always sort of so focused on writing and the love of it, but at the same time he's he's 
spreads himself so thin. It's like a Mad Lib, right? Like yeah. it's just like, all right, fill in the blanks, and then uh, you get a Stephen King story. Um, yeah, so I, I'm intrigued, and I definitely want to watch it, and I want to review it probably with you once we. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm down. I'm down to review it. But the I'm thing just, is, I'm just, it's weekly, I'm, I'm, and there's diff- I know that it's going to be heartbreaking. <laughs> there's different embargoes for different episodes, so we'll either have to keep everyone updated on this show, or we'll do a review once the whole season is finished, and then I said um, we do a review once the whole season. finished because i think that way it's just like a kind of like a a a full overview of the series yeah and like we review normally like when it comes to television um or content there's two different uh, ways we do it really yeah we usually review what we're given to us which is usually one to three episodes based on um the studio that's sending us but we don't give like a, a final rating because we haven't seen the full thing so that's with a lot of marvel stuff obviously more recently um or we wait until or or if Netflix sends us something, they usually send us all of it and there's no embargo for individual episodes. So like they'll give us a spoiler sheet of things we can't talk about. But when it comes to, um, you know, uh, Master of None or Cobra Kai, we have watched the whole the season. Whole season yeah. So we're comfortable with giving an overall rating of that season and something with Lisey's story and the Apple TV stuff, they give us all of them, but each episode has a different embargo date. So, so I rather, I rather give people the, like the full review than sort of like talking about it on, cause I'm fine to give my impression. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm fine to give impressions, but yeah, it's uh, I definitely think, uh, keep an eye out for it. It's uh, premieres on June 4th. Uh, the first episode. So the first two episodes will be available on June 4th and then um, they're weekly after that. Uh, quickly, I'll go through the other stuff I've been watching. Watch the first episode of MODOK. I think we will also, we'll have a review for MODOK for everyone as well. Um, my quick impressions on the first episode didn't really vibe with it. Um, I think Pat Oswalt is great. Um, I like you know, Marvel and, um, you know, Disney doing weirder things like this with their properties. So like a stop motion animated adult Modoc show sounds cool, but I just felt like it was stuck in the past. Like a lot of the humor and even the animation style, because I did watch a lot of Robot Chicken, you know, in the late 2000s early 2010s fan over here um seth green's a producer on this and it's the same it definitely looks like the same studio that does robot chicken and um and that kind of humor as well and i I don't know i just didn't fully vibe with it but you can tell that they're trying to do a little bit more with it than just the you know uh robot chicken style purely you know satirizing and, and poking fun at something like it's trying to have an emotional kind of arc and stuff to it i think it. like a core yeah and uh modok's such an interesting weird marvel character that's why i think they're doing it um so i'm intrigued but like i don't i don't know like i'm still i will give it a shot and and watch the rest of the episodes but i didn't love the first episode and i think it's doing it a disservice by doing it weekly um because if we weren't reviewing it, I don't know if I would go and watch the other episodes after this first one. Like, unless right. everyone says it. And I've heard from people that it is good, so I will continue. But um, I just don't really uh, vibe with that first episode. Um, 
I watched a couple Charlie Borman uh, travel shows with Son Extre- of John, uh, please. Son of John, um, Extreme Frontiers, which takes place in Canada, actually. And then Any Means Necessary, uh, which is a show where he traveled the world by any form of transportation. Uh, any Means Necessary wasn't great. Extreme Frontiers is really cool because he's going through all of Canada. So it's like it's kind of nice to see our country in from every aspect. And and Charlie's a great host and personality and um so those have been good bedtime shows for nevis and i a uh, little bit of Shit's creek i started uh, getting back into because everyone tells me it's great and i always was like i don't get it uh watched... and you also had sort of an aversion to uh chris elliott's mayor character yeah right? yeah the titular shit um so he is the owner of Shit's creek or whatever i think uh I, it's fine i don't know like the second season finale really got its it, it hooks in me where i'm like oh this is what people are talking about i'm starting to see that here uh then i watched the season three premiere and i was like i didn't like that again and i'm like you got me with the season two finale and then the season three premiere i'm like this goes back to the kind of meh whatever i don't care then i watched another episode after and i'm like okay it's it's a little bit better i think i like i don't like Catherine o'hara's character and i'm like if this is what this is for the rest of the series like i just i don't get it um i like eugene levy uh uh, enough but and there are some good gags in the show um but i don't know man like i still haven't seen what other people see in it but maybe it takes a while to get there i don't know yeah i haven't even watched it like i just it's one of those shows where it's like i want to be supportive because it's very rare that a canadian produced show does so well internationally and has such a critical response the way that it has and like it it, like again like i don't want to feel like obligated to support something just because it's canadian but it's cool that like two sct alumni like Catherine o'hara and eugene levy are kind of now getting their due in a way like it's i i like that um and i love both of them so much it's just there's just something about it and like i, I gotta be honest like dan levy i don't hate or anything yeah. but i think he's good in small doses like i think he's fine and happiest season but it almost feels like if i'm gonna watch how many it's like five seasons in total now six I think. six yeah it feels like that's a lot of him and I know it's his series and that's fine, but like, I like I just, Annie Murphy a lot. Right. And she's, she's got a couple other shows that she's going to be a part of soon as well. Like yeah. that's kind of cool as well that like both of them seem to be doing quite well off of that. But there's just something where like, I just haven't. And I also even actually like Chris Elliott and other stuff, um, Same, but yeah, it's just, I don't know why I haven't I haven't given it a shot. Maybe partly it's just like television in general where I'm more apprehensive. And sitcoms are I sitcoms, feel like yeah. like are fluff sometimes, so it's hard to really like. Although I've heard this gets better, but other people who kept telling me like, "Oh, get through the first two seasons, get through the first two seasons," and I'm like, "Okay, all right." And I dropped off, and Nevis kept watching it, and then she's like, "Watch this episode with me and see if it if you like it." And it was the season two finale, so I skipped most of the first and second season and jumped back in on the season two. So it's basically finale. like you in clone and wars. You're watching yeah, a curated episode, <laughs> I guess and the season two finale was very good, but um, then the season three premiere, I didn't care about So I don't know. I, I, I think it'll be a, another bedtime show where Nevis has it on and I might 
you know, tune pop. in every now and then. Yeah, and then if it and then if it eventually starts to get its hooks in me, I'll I'll continuously watch it. But right now, I'm kind of torn on it. And then finally, before I I head it over to you, and you can wrap up the show with what you've been watching. Uh, I mean, something we've both been watching. I'm a little bit ahead of you, but Mayor of Easttown on HBO. Um, I got the HBO package in my crave again. Um, and Did they send you a vape pen? No, I have my own. Don't worry. Um, and uh, we've been watching Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet and, and Guy Pierce and and, and uh, Julianne Nicholson. And, yeah, and Gene Smart and um, or Gene Smart Fart. fart. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> the Smart Fart. That was an underrated tweet. I don't think enough people are watching <laughs> Mayor of Easttown. Um, what it goes to so, like we we talk about this often. It's like the tweets that you put a lot of effort in, they never get the respect that they. But they my deserve. Watto Disney Plus one. tweet, yeah, my Watto Disney Plus tweet, people are loving. Uh, not even, but for me, like a hundred likes is like, whoo, there was a good tweet. Oh, are you kidding me? Um, I'm lucky to get seven. I think I'm Twitter, like I think I'm social media poison. Half no, 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 no. I, I'm, dude, I average out like on between seven and ten. The odd time something will get fifty or a hundred, and then like. Um, but uh, who cares anyway? <laughs> it's just um, <laughs> smart fart. So, anyways, Mayor of Easttown, a lot of fun. You're three episodes in, right? I've watched six yeah. episodes now. There's one. I would be down to left. do a review um, of that show when it's done. I'm like, definitely I, the finale is this weekend. If you catch up and, and watch yeah. it, um, I'm definitely next week down to do a review of it. Uh, so we don't need to go into huge detail here. Um, but it's it's pulpy, but has an emotional core to it. I think at times it can be. Uh, silly with the red herrings and, and misdirection that it kind of throws at you. Um, Cause it's about a small town. Um, a, a girl went missing. It's a small town called East town and, a, and, and mayor is a detective in the small town who is, infam- or is she also the mayor, the yeah. unofficial mayor? <laughs> uh, she's infamous in this town because she won a high school basketball tournament on a buzzer beating shot. Um, which is like the town's crowning achievement. So everyone knows her from that. She's never left this town and she's a detective there now. So it's like the end of Teen uh, Wolf. And one of her good friends from that basketball team, her daughter went missing a year earlier and they've never found her. And she kind of blames Mare on giving up the search for her daughter. And then another girl ends up getting murdered um, in this town and the mystery behind who killed this, this girl who was, also um had a young kid and stuff like that so there's some similarities between the two cases and then it's about mare and her family history and her trying to solve this murder and uh a really good cast evan peters is also in it in there um and uh just a good pulpy kind of like that kind of hbo show that i really like which is like elevated but still kind of knows what it is with the small town murder mystery and like the silliness of like oh could it be this person and they throw the misdirection at you yeah and like and eric had a great tweet of the shifty dog eye kind of thing of like everyone is sus kind of thing as Eric pokes himself in the eye (laughs) um and then um so it's kind of fun. Shifty eye. <laughs> it does do that thing where they're like this episode, they're going to really show you that this person could have been the person that killed them. But then the next episode, they debunk that and kind of thing. Um, and, but then mayor's history with her son who, who was a drug addict and things like that is really interesting. And, 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 and just like the vibe of everyone knows each other. So even though you're the detective, well, it's that small town like, kind of thing. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. And I love that. And uh, I think the show is really effective in um, uh, it's directed by Craig uh, uh, Zobel. Zobel. I'm getting mixed up because Evan Peters character is Zabel in this show. Um, So anyways, Craig Zobel, who did Z for Zachariah and he did uh, what else? The Hunt more recently and The the Great World of Sound. He's he's Uh, one of those guys that kind of is in like the same or used to be in the same kind of group as like Jody Hill and Jeff Nichols and like, you know, went from like small indie kind of movies to sort of more studio films or, you know, like uh, David Gordon Green, like those guys. Yeah. So he directed every episode um, and I'm just Nevis and I, it's been our kind of obsession. And I'm I, I that's what HBO was so good at is that Sunday night adult drama. Like that's when Game of Thrones was on like their prestige, like number one show. They always put on like Sundays at 10 p.m. or whatever, 9, 10 p.m. And I feel like Mayor, not a lot of people are talking about Mayor of Easttown, but I've seen more and more people like it seems like that kind of, you know, HBO not breakout hit that everyone is talking about but like no it's not the sopranos or game of thrones mm. it's more it, i don't even because i think the wire is an amazing piece of television but the wire the wire is one of those shows where like it's a slow burn kind of thing but I, I think people are catching on to this like maybe not in the way that true detective that first season of true detective but it seems like people when they get to it are hooked and it is one of those shows that is weirdly designed to kind of keep you watching each and every week because of the things you mentioned with the suspicious quality of the characters and the small town mentality and and things that people find weirdly comforting about um the procedural but also with the added element of kate winslet being the star and it kind of also being a character study of her kind of like trying to keep herself together and kind of falling apart and that stuff i think really is is also kind of the the kind of the more quote unquote prestigious part sort of balancing out the pulp is that you have like this great actor in, you know, returning to television after doing Mildred Pierce, the, the, the Todd Haynes version um, of that miniseries. So I think that that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah. So, and you're enjoying it too, right? Yeah. I mean, I've only watched the three episodes and it's not because I didn't want to watch more. It's just because I've got so much to watch. Like I've been watching, you know, Barry Jenkins's the underground railroad and like, um railway and like and with that i'm only five episodes in i still feel like i i I don't want to comment on it because i've only watched a part of what i think is really a movie and not fair show and like there's there's so much that is is beautiful and also um almost unbearable to watch at times but it's this great balance of artistry um you know that you can tell that obviously he is a very much influenced by Wong Kar Wai and and things like that and you know James Laxton and, and Nicholas Patel you know their their work as cinematographer and and composer is is prominent throughout and the performances are all amazing and um I'll talk more about it once I've watched the whole thing but it's definitely uh it's it's definitely worth your time it's just it's you have to kind of be in the mindset for it and be prepared to really you know give this series your your complete attention and i think that that's important to like this isn't just like a kind of passive watch yeah 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 you know this this isn't something you can just throw on in the background sunday afternoon and 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 sort of you know eye every now and then like this is something you need to really kind of be with from beginning to end um, even if you do take a break, which is fine, take the break. It's it's a lot to take in. You need 
time to decompress after what what you're watching but it is everything i've seen so far is is great um going into films i i'll just go through these quickly um i rewatched a couple uh charles groden movies uh charles groden just recently passed away um midnight uh run which is fantastic with him being paired with uh, robert de niro's sort of uh sort of bail bondsman sort of uh bounty hunter type character this was like when de niro started doing sort of quote-unquote comedy uh i still think it's his best it's it's uh definitely one of martin breast's best the director of uh, beverly hills cop uh groden is amazing in the movie and a lot of people our age matt and i's age will probably best know charles groden uh as the dad from the beethoven movies yeah you know and sort of yeah. always being overly frustrated and anxious towards uh beethoven that big old um, dog but I mean, the guy has had such an amazing career as a playwright, as a writer, um, as a sort of an unconventional leading man in movies like, you know, uh, Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid, not to be confused with the Farley Brothers version. Uh, Elaine May's version is fantastic and corrosive and 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 has some amazing moments that sort of reflect what a bad relationship is. And it's unfortunate that that has not been released on Blu-ray or is not available. And I think it's a licensing thing with the music. Um, but he was always good in everything that he, he, he was in. It's just that his style was so specific that I feel like there were a lot of filmmakers that were kind of hesitant to either work with him or the studio system. Cause he, he, he was so deadpan. And like, you saw like Noah Baumbach threw him in, you know, while we're young, um, I think, which was one of the last movies I saw him. Yeah. In, um, and, and he was always, he was always good. Like even in something like, you know, the, the seventies version of King Kong, which just got a, a recent Blu-ray release through uh screen factory, screen factory as, as a collector's edition. Um, not a great movie, but he plays the filmmaker and he has some amazing line deliveries and he kind of gets you through some of uh, the more sort of slower paced stuff. And, and some of what that movie, the reason why that movie doesn't work so well is because it's a man in the suit kind of thing. Right. And it's right, just right, so right. awkward, but like, I like the man in the suit movies usually, but this is like, just like really uncomfortable and awkward. And you could tell this was a time where, you know, this kind of movie was kind of imploding on itself and like this was this almost killed jessica lang's career even before it got started um so i watched those um i watched i, I hadn't watched it in a very very long time it's terrible this is the most recent thing i watched that was just kind of fun for me was um man's best friend with lance hendrickson which is about um a scientist who creates a killer dog um that you know in the right hands could be uh, a, a tool for the military and government but in the wrong hands could be a killing machine and it gets in not in the wrong hands but in ali sheedy's hands uh star of the breakfast club uh in a mid to late 90s direct to video uh release through new line uh, which is basically a killer dog movie uh it's terrible uh, but i have weird fond memories of renting it at blockbusters as a kid and being obsessed with it, renting every single horror movie that was on the shelves and that was one of them and i just remember thinking oh lance hendrickson from you know aliens is in this and you know i like him a lot and uh it's 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 bad matt it's real bad um i don't doubt but, it <laughs> but another movie that i i rewatched that is purely i think love out of nostalgia is joe dante's um explorers which 
just also got a re-release through uh, Shout Factory, a collector's edition, um, a classic kind of a classic Amblin film in the sense that like it uses a lot of the tropes that you're familiar with that, you know, a lot of these movies are are sort of remembered for like the idea of you know the coming of age movie the kid kind of stumbling into something that's either you know intergalactic or supernatural but also has a sense of adventure and danger to it as well um ethan hawk it's one of his first roles uh he's 14 years of age in this movie um and this is the thing he's he's in high school but he he actually is a high school like he looks like everybody that's who would have Everybody thought that was a great cast, idea? Cast in this movie and 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 the and the co-lead in this as well as um the late River Phoenix, um, who plays kind of like his point dexter kind of friend. And the idea of the story is that um Ethan Hawke's character um is dreaming of uh alien uh blueprints and these signals, and you get like this like really bad Tron-esque CGI opening where Ethan Hawke is flying around in his dreams and and seeing this like weird sort of like information that's being sort of um projected to him. And so he's writing it all down when he wakes up and you know uh both him and and um river phoenix's uh wolfgang i i thought of you a little bit because uh uh river phoenix's family in this uh one of which the dad is played by james cromwell are all of uh uh german uh heritage and so there's a lot of like german talking like they're they're, they're a bigger family there, there's seven kids in this yeah family. my mom the foresters um was only four kids but yeah my dad yeah. side though and and basically kids. what happens is they end up communicating with um sort of aliens from uh, another galaxy and kind of befriending them and the aliens basically know our world based on junk television and infomercials and it's all very looney tune esque uh Robert Picardo is the voice of one of the aliens and you can kind of tell actually that um they I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Bay or Steven Spielberg took some of that inspiration because the way that this one alien talks is through um, the sort of like late night talk show hosts and infomercials that they probably use this for Bumblebee in the Transformers movies. Um, and then some of it as well as is, is not that James Cameron, you know, saw this and stole this for the yeah, abyss, yeah, but yeah. the idea that like how aliens see <clears throat> humans as uh, not just not threats, but as, threats to them um and not wanting to make contact with people um and we were talking about this earlier as well that's why they don't want to come to earth because they're afraid that they'll be shot because they've seen all these movies and tv shows where aliens are experimented on or you know apprehended or killed on site so it's it's a fun kind of little sort of walk down memory lane it's interesting to see you know ethan hawk as a 14 year old kid um, in one of his first kind of roles and, and there's some great behind the scenes features and, and new featurettes on that as well. And like, if you love that Amblin stuff, it's not necessarily like top tier, but if you kind of want to fill in the gaps of watch, like, cause for people that don't know that like Joe Dante, you know, directed the Gremlins movies and inner space and, and things like that. And, and that's kind of what he's best known for, but this is kind of a, um, a fun mid tier uh amblin movie but if you kind of grew up with it you'll have more nostalgia towards it but it is it is a fun little film even though it's fairly dated in its technology and, and design but it was nice kind of revisiting that nice man yeah anything else i'll leave it at that i think explorers yeah. is where it's best to 
explore outward. Nice. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, everyone, on this very beefy episode of the Entitled Movie Podcast. We covered a lot of different things, <laughs> um, but I had fun. <laughs> um, if you like this, we have uh, many other reviews, which I mentioned during what I've been watching. So uh, please go check out um, Untitled Movie Reviews. It's our channel where we do much more brief uh podcasts on the newest films so you can check out our reviews for cruella army of the dead uh those who wish me dead the woman in the window oxygen wrath of man uh without remorse things heard and seen mortal Kombat, many many more um so please go check out that channel uh please follow us on all of those social medias at untitled underscore cast please check out our letterboxd hq which is housing everything untitled movie podcasts so all three of our shows everything is just in a nice little spot on letterboxd if you're not on letterboxd you should be on letterboxd it's fantastic the best place for film fans untitled podcast uh, is where we're at on letterboxd and you can get links to all of our socials our reviews our drafts, everything over there. Um, as always, uh, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Imagine the mayor of Eastwood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Bye.